Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, on the eve of a massive round 23, we'll cover off the D's and the Lions tomorrow night with Brent Maloney. But let's celebrate the greatest rivalry, Carlton v Collingwood. Alex Marku, the three-time Premiership Blue, will join us. Uh, yes, indeed. Very good evening. Welcome to the Sporting Capital. Hope you've had a good day as you possibly can. How have you been putting it in? Where have you been putting it in? Wonderful to have you on board, the Sporting Capital. You can call any time on the Harcourt's open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 Your move, your Harcourt's. So you can text in 0433981116 on the temper text. Temper, uh, a mattress like no other. So much to get through for tonight. As I said, Alex Marcoux standing by three-time Premiership Blue. We're going to go inside the Carlton-Collingwood rivalry. I feel like for the first time, maybe since Alex's day, uh, late 70s, early 80s, it's starting to get back to what it might have used to have been. It'll be one of the biggest home and away games we've seen in recent years on Sunday, and we cannot wait for it. D's, Lions is massive. Lions, D's uh, on Friday night. So Brent Maloney's played for both those clubs. Uh, he's going to join us uh, after 9 o'clock. And then uh, just uh, out of 9 o'clock, we're going to get Max Lawton on from Fox Sports. There are so many machinations, permutations, ramifications of wins, losses. The top eight is anything but said except for Geelong at the top of it. So he's going to take us through all the possibilities that will occur with each of the games and how they can affect the top eight and therefore the finals, which are a couple of weeks away. So we've still got nothing out of Essendon as they leave Ben Rutten twisting in the wind, the humiliation he's being forced to endure Reminiscent of what Carlton put David Teague through unnecessarily last year, keeping him hanging. The, the treatment of Rutten now has drawn support and condemnation from fellow coaches, even which you don't often see. But Simon Goodwin today, Damien Hardwick, Luke Beveridge uh, have all spoken about it. Uh, and even from the man who might replace him, Alistair Clarkson, saying at the airport today that he was a bit embarrassed by the scrutiny and the situation for those that uh, involved find themselves in, um, with him a, a central figure in that, but certainly feeling for the people involved. Uh, he says he'll know and will know come Friday, so not long before uh, the best coach of the modern era alerts us to where he's taking his talents. Uh, biggest umpire change in 30-odd years. We go to four field umpires in 2023. We've got more retirements. Dan Hanabry today, the Premiership Swan, and now a St. Michael Hurley. What a story this is going to be. His first game since round 18, 2020. He will get to say goodbye to the Essendon faithful. He had to teach himself to walk again. Um, with the hip issue that, that he has been confronting since early 2021. And he said today on the way out, pleaded with his club uh, to get on the same page. Uh, he announced his retirement. The draft class of this year might just be the most elite of all time. Have a look at some of the names. The Kennedys, Edwards, Gray, Hanabry, and now Hurley as well. There are some top, top liners that are um, 
that are retiring at the end of 2022 and when they come to do their lap on grand final day, we might just be asking, is there a better retirement class than this one? Uh, Ollie Wines has lit the fuse for a fiery, fiery showdown in Robbie Gray's farewell. I'll play those comments for you a little later. It is going to be on from the opening bounce. It's going to be, I'm going to think, back to the Ramsgate Hotel sort of style. Daniel Rioli signs on for another five years and in doing so, Damien Hardwick put clubs talking to other players other clubs' players back in the spotlight. So there is a heap to get through. Uh, but let's get to our feature guest tonight because we love a rivalry and there is none bigger uh, in AFL footy, VFL, AFL footy, uh, than Collingwood v Carlton. The half-forward line. Harms tries to pick it up. Buckley gets it out to Harms now. He's pursued by Brewer, but he can't catch him. Harms fires at the goals, but he's off target. It's rolling towards the boundary line, and Harms almost makes ground. He taps it back to Sheldon, and it's a goal! Oh, what a goal! If you don't mind, Harms is almost as quick as the kick. That's Collingwood trying to get it around there. There's a go for Magro. He's going for the mark, but the umpire set a free kick for interference. 28 minutes gone. Five is there time for Collingwood to get up? They're five catches to and Carlton have won the 1979 Premiership. The score, the final scores, Carlton 11-16, 82. Once again, calling with the bridesmaid, 11 goals, 11, 77. Just one of many, many moments that writes the richest history in the fiercest rivalry in the game, or the longest held rivalry, of course. We know the showdown is as good as any rivalry in the competition, the derby as well. But Carlton v Collingwood it takes us back to a time and a place, and the rivalry itself goes all the way back to Carlton bringing in Collingwood to the VFA. They played their first VFA game against each other. If it's Billy Strickland defecting to the Pies, their first VFL game against each other. The grand final matches, they've played in six. Carlton have won five of them. 19-10, the Pies were able to win. A brawl thought to be what started the rivalry in its in its fiercest form was the the fight that occurred that day in 1910. Was it Baxter or Dakin that belted Backy? Either way, the Blues swore they'd never forget what happened that day. 1915, 1938, 1970, Carlton come back from 44 points down and Jezelenko takes the most iconic mark we've seen. That was 1979 in front of 121,000 people. Collingwood were up by 28 points at one stage. Carlton up by 21 points. And in the end, it was a five-point win. And Wayne Harms, the hero, that desperate lunge. Was it in? Was it out? Carlton President George Harris that day said, what's better than beating Collingwood by 10 goals? Beating them by five points. There was the 81 grand final. Carlton come back from 22 points down in the third Warren Ralph's goal after the siren, Anzac Day 84, Dennis Banks' hit on Reese Jones in 86, Sauce's mark in 87, Stick spoiling the centenary match in 92, Mick McGuan's seven-bounce goal of the year in 1994, Eddie Betts' in 2006, a millennium match, Malthouse v Buckley, 261 times these teams have played, Collingwood have the advantage 129 to 128. The rivalry may not, have been, may not be what it once was, but for the first time it feels like it's getting back to what it was in the late 70s, early 80s, and many years before that. And in the words of Nathan Buckley, Carlton is the natural enemy of Collingwood and vice versa. So let's talk a bit about this rivalry and a man who played in two premiership wins against the Pies, three in total in his career with the Blues. Alex Marcou has been good enough to jump on. Alex, hello, mate. How are you, Sam? Hey, um, when I just say Carlton v Collingwood... Just you did a good job then. Actually, that was fantastic. All that, uh, and it did start in 1910. The rivalry. 
What are your memories? What comes to mind for you when I say Carlton v Collingwood? When I went down to Carlton, Sam, uh, it was basically Collingwood was hated. So if you could put the Carlton jumper on any time you played Collingwood in a home and away game, and especially in finals, you were privileged to play, especially if you won. And, you know, to win two against the black and white side in 79-81 was an absolute, as much as, you know, I've got a lot of cousins that love Collingwood. It was an absolute pleasure, and the rivalry was unbelievable. I loved it. Actually, I loved it. You know, everyone stood tall, and as did the Collingwood players, stood tall against the Navy Blue Jumper. What do you know of it from the opposition side of it? Um, When you spoke to Collingwood players during your playing career, after your playing career, what did it mean to them from what they said to you? Same, same, Sam. They basically were um, not brainwashed, but they were, you know, brought up to be a Collingwood footballer that hated Carlton and despised them and wanted to win against them at any cost and at any time. And, you know, both sides were the same. And, you know, even after a game when you were allowed to have a drink with the boys um, um, yeah, after the match, you know, even then there was... It wasn't a lot of mixing together with each other. It was, you know, fairly... Well, Carlton boys stayed with each other and had a beer, and the Collingwood boys stayed with each other and had a beer. So, yeah, the rivalry was magnificent, actually. It was good for football. And on Sunday, it's going to be absolutely fantastic for football. Are you heading along, Alex? Yeah, mate, I'm heading along. I've, I've had, as a lot of the, I've spoken to a lot of the boys today, uh, you know, I was trying to get a couple of extra tickets for people and. You know, my daughter, who is 30 now and doesn't really go to the football, she said, Dad, and she said, I would love to go to this game. So, you know, I had to get tickets for her. Uh, it's a nightmare. Sam, it's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, being a three-time, being a three-timer, surely you can ring up the club and there's a bit of, a, a bit of pull still to be had? Yeah, there is. But the pull I've got to how many people rang for tickets is... At, uh, well, ways what I could get out of the footy club, but they were very generous. Hey Sam, they were very generous and they did look after me. But it got to a point where they said, "Ah, enough's enough, Al." So, yeah. Alex, speaking to Alex Marku, three-time premiership player with Carlton, speaking about the rivalry that is Carlton Collingwood, Collingwood Carlton, and everything that entails. So, your first year at the club was nineteen seventy-nine. And I think you debuted in round three, if I'm not mistaken, but you really were ducked to water. In those days, you had to be because it was wet grounds. Um, but you <laughs> ducked to water. I think you kicked over 30 goals in your first year, playing a lot on the ball as well. Yep. What do you remember yep. of, of, of that season? Oh, well, mate, I was, Sam, I was so lucky to come in uh, through yeah, a couple of injuries to players like Ashman and Buckley and Sheldon and I was given the opportunity in the last practice match and uh, Jezelink at the time said, look, you know, uh, a lot of people think you're small. Um, we don't think, yeah, a lot of people don't think you'll make it. You've got your chance now. We've got injuries. You can, you know, 
do a good job in this game, uh, I'll, I'll give you six weeks in the seniors. And I kicked five goals against Hawthorne in the last practice match and they couldn't drop me. And I played the whole year and was so lucky, Sam, so lucky to play in a grand final in front of 113,000 people against our rivals, our enemy, our, you know, yeah. Do you remember your first game against Collingwood? I remember it, yeah. It was at Princess Park. At now, you know, people have got to realise Princess Park, but we had, I think it was 30,000 people in the ground. It was standing room only, and the roar of the crowd for that, you know, for Princess Park at the time um, was unbelievable. Now, do I remember if we won or lost? Shit. Now you got me here. But, but it, it was fantastic. And every game's like that against, you know, Collingwood. You know, the, the crowd's there. They're all passionate and it shows. Was there a moment, Alex, in the first time you played them, or maybe it wasn't until the, the grand final, but was there a moment that you can remember that, that you said, okay, this rivalry, I mean, all the talk I've heard, everything that I've been told and I've seen it growing up as a kid and I know these... But did you did you see something where you thought, oh yeah, this is real. This is as real as it gets. Oh, it, well, it started with Jezelenko, uh, basically um, coming out, and he got knocked out rotten by uh, Stan Magro, and it, it it was an absolute. You know, talking about Crips on um, Arche. Arche, yep. yep. Yeah, Sam, this one was an absolute front, shirt front, and at that stage, we were, that's what we won. At that stage, we were down, and we'd gone in at half time, and um, Jezza was in the uh, medical room, and he, for sure, he was concussed, but he's just looked up at all of us because uh, the assistant coach at the time, I think it was Colcanier, he said, Look, go in and see Jezza, and he said, Boys, we've got to beat these bastards, you know. Collingwood, we had to beat them, and we went out there and yeah, flogged them in that uh, latter half. So nineteen seventy nine, yeah. So nineteen seventy nine grand final, Alex. Um, it had yeah. everything. This game, I mean, it seesawed. Yeah. I mean, they got out to a lead. You pegged them back. You got out to a lead. Yeah. They pegged you back. Um, yeah. You're in a grand final in your first ever year of footy. I imagine you're only what eighteen, nineteen years of age on the biggest stage. Of all, are there moments that stand out to you in that game, or, or there are things that your mind goes to straight away when you think of that day? Uh, the, the, contest, the, the contest between uh, McClure and Pickin, God bless him. Yeah, yeah, like unbelievable. Uh, Renee Kink throwing his weight around, trying to uh, get a lot of the Carlton blokes offside. Um, the, the one you replayed before, Sam, the Harmsy feet of kicking the ball and chasing it and running after his own kick and just whacking it in from the boundary. I was right behind him. I just couldn't, I'm getting shivers now thinking about thinking how in the hell did he do it? That, that sort of feet has never, and on a muddy ground too, like that's never been done before and never probably will ever happen again. Uh, Sheldon to take that knock on from Harms in the goal square, that basically sealed the game for us. It was and then the last bit of it was um, when they kicked it out. 
I think I kicked the point and they kicked it out and um, Tony Shaw got the ball and I looked down the wing and it was all open. I'm thinking, oh my God, we're going to lose this. Seriously, I started panicking and the siren went 27 minute mark in the last quarter. It's one of the shortest quarters that ever um, has ever been had. So, yeah, that was, well, to this day now, Sam, I still think about all those yeah. beautiful moments I had in those grand finals. And 81... So you, yeah. you get to go up against each other again. So it's it's huge again. Yeah. It's Carlton v Collingwood. It's it's monstrous. Eighty one. You guys are staring down the barrel of a twenty two point deficit. Now you had the ball on a string that day. If my numbers I'm looking at are correct, I think you had over thirty. If I'm not mistaken. And it's funny because seventy nine. I think you kicked three behinds. You kicked it behind yeah. in eighty one. I think you had to wait till eighty two to kick your first goal in a granny. But on on the, no, actually, I think it's the other way around. You kicked it behind in seventy nine, and you kicked three behinds and had over thirty disposals in eighty one. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's spot on, Sam. Yeah, well done. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Eighty one. What do you remember? Uh, eighty one. Um, look, I, again, it was a tough game, and yeah, you know, with all due respect, the guys that play football today, I don't think they realise how good they've got it with the grounds. You know, the grounds mm. are like bowling greens, you know, the grounds we played on, but 79 was fairly well muddy and 81 there was rain and the ground was, again, a little bit unstable under the foot. But I, I think the moment that I really remember up until like the, the three-quarter time, as she kicked the goal, uh, before three-quarter time, and then Jimmy Buckley kicked a goal, and the siren went, and we're, like, I think 22 points down or 20 points down, and um, we were coming into the huddle, and I remember Jimmy Buckley saying, boys, we've got them. We're 20 points down, but we've got them. You can see in their eyes, and you turned around, you said, have a look at it, but they're arguing. And we all looked around to the Collingwood huddle, and they were all arguing with each other, with the coach and everything. And that's when Parkin said, guys, we've got the best chance now to come out into the last quarter and, and beat the, the Magpies. Um, and the ball got bounced in the last quarter, Sam, and I think they didn't ever kick a goal, probably one goal, whatever, but we... we yeah, killed them in the last quarter. Yeah, you kicked the last. You kicked the last six goals uh, of the game, Alex, and and you were brilliant that day. Um, had it on a string. When it comes to the rivalry now, I've got to let you go. But how important uh, 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 to the game, without being Victoria biased, because we know it's a national competition now. But how big yeah. is it for the game to have these two clubs in prominence again? So Carlton fighting to get into the finals. They need to win this to get in. You guys need to win to stay in the top four. Uh, sorry, other way around. Uh, Carlton, you guys need to win to get in the finals. Collingwood need to win uh, to stay in the top four. How big is it to have these two clubs in contention um, and prominent again? Sam, it is huge, and I think it's and I just hope, look, I would just hope that Carlton can get over Collingwood this Sunday and get us into the uh, eight, whether we do anything or not. But that would be huge, and then you got. The other big powerhouse in there, Richmond. Oh my God! It, this is, you know, this is what football's about, and this is what the supporters want. You know, the big clubs with a big supporter base in the finals. Man, this is massive. You know, I, I can't wait. I, I just hope the Blues can get over the Maggies on um, Sunday. 
Well, I'm a I'm a Hawks man, Alex. So I'm I've I've had my fill in recent years. So I'm content at the minute and smug and arrogant. Yes. <laughs> you know, well, Hawkers. Yeah, they've been very well. Hey, Alex, uh, we're out of time, but I'd I could have kept going with you for another hour. Uh, next time we get you on, I'll get you to give me some fashion advice because you are a fashionista these days, uh, just uh, dominating the world of fashion. I'd love to hear more about that another time. Thanks so much for taking us down memory lane and setting up this rivalry for us. It should be a great weekend. Enjoy it. Pleasure, Sam. Go Blues. There we go. Three-time Premiership Blue, Alex Marcoux, who was phenomenal in 81, and um, he was uh, in his first year of footy in 1979 uh, on that day at the MCG in front of a record crowd. Cannot wait for it on Sunday. It's going to be brilliant. You'll hear it right here on SEN. Uh, of course, on the app you'll need to go to, uh, Jerry Waitley, Andy Marr, taking you through that. Uh, we'll tidy up this half hour on the other side of this. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. It's quite embarrassing, to be fair, to be such a, the, the central figure in, in all this. You know, it's, I've got enormous respect for, for the three guys involved in their, in their clubs. You know, Spike McVay, Chuck Rutten and, uh, and Patch Adams are all terrific football people and they're, they're trying to do the right things by their clubs and... Um, and in particular with the with the, the situation around truck, you know, um, you know, he's still got a year of his contract to run, and it's um, um, it, it's quite embarrassing being uh, being the centre of attention in a, in a situation that's just so difficult for both him and his club. So, um, yeah, I'd I'd, uh, I'd prefer to be able to get off the off the back page. Um, I know full well that this circus will end once I can make a decision uh, one way or the other. So the sooner I can do that, the better. Alistair Clarkson uh, stopped at the airport on his way back uh, to Melbourne today and expecting that decision to be tomorrow. So we wait with bated breath and so does Ben Rutten. Hey, next, the Brownlow Lowdown. Thanks to Betfair. This is the Betfair Brownlow Lowdown. Betfair's Brownlow Predictor has been right three years in a row. Check it out today. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Our penultimate show before our final show, before the 2022 Brownlow Medal. So with things are heating up with a round to play, uh, the Betfair Brownlow Lowdown, three years in a row, the Betfair Brownlow Predictor has predicted the Brownlow medalist, and also the runner-up as well. Uh, Tommy Haylock is back with us for another week, a big week. Tommy, hello, mate. It is a huge week. It is absolutely enormous, round 23, and I can't wait to talk about Friday night. What a match that's going to be, Brisbane versus Melbourne, in terms of the Brownlow. But, um, yeah, it's heating up. We've only got one round to go. So this is um, make or break time for those uh, looking to, to win a Brownlow. Certainly is. You can lay bet on AFL markets only at Betfair Gamble responsibly. Call one 858 858. We've got a clear favourite at the top of the Betfair predictor. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But every week we like to recap your three, two, one best bets. Uh, starting with your one vote best bet. Uh, how did you go? Oh, a little bit lucky. Saved by 14 seconds, I think, here. I just went to some head-to-heads. Um, I backed Brisbane to beat St Kilda. I thought they were value at the $1.70. They won comfortably enough. Got the chocolates there. Tick with that. And Melbourne to beat Colton. I took the shorts. And we did the show last Wednesday. That was before Cripps got let off. So, yes. um, so there was big news to come after our show, um, after we recorded the show last week. So that changed some things, and we might touch on what happened there. It was amazing scenes with Brownlow Metal Markets going AWOL with Crips out and suddenly back in, and 
That was amazing. So, um, got the chocolates there. Brisbane about St Kilda, Melbourne about Carlton. Um, the double was nice. Your yeah. two votes. Two votes. Uh, Oliver at 6.20, I said to back him. Um, he had 29 disposals, 8 inside 50s, 19 contested possessions. He didn't firm much. He might get a vote. We'll touch on that. But um, he's still around that $6 mark at the moment. And my three-voter, no good, my three-voter. Um, after a good couple of weeks, Petraka, he... Unlikely to get a get a vote there. So tighter game than inspe- expected. I thought Melbourne would beat uh, Carlton quite convincingly, actually. I was pretty confident Melbourne would beat Carlton. Uh, now, if you've got any Brownlow predicted queries or questions, or if you've got some suggestions of your own, 0433981116, you can text in at any stage. Let's go through where we think possible votes are going to land from round 22, Tommy, starting with St Kilda uh, and Brisbane. You mentioned uh, Brisbane got that 15-point win in the end. The big... The big news from a Brownlow perspective, um, St Kilda versus Brisbane, was Lockie Neal. Now, Marcus Windhager, he got the Rising Star nomination. He tagged he Lockie Neal. Um, that was an enormous performance. So he had 21 disposals himself, kept Lockie Neal to 16 possessions a season low. So no votes coming Lockie Neal's way. Do you reckon there's a sign for Melbourne this week? Do you reckon they... Well, they've so the teams have come in for tonight, yes. and uh, for, the teams have come in tonight for uh, obviously the round twenty-three, and they've brought Harms back into the starting twenty-two. So Harms is the the, the player that tagged Neil out of the game uh, when mm. they met earlier in the season when Melbourne gave Brisbane a touch-up. Uh, they've brought him back in. He's been medical sub the last couple of weeks. Interesting. So he uh, he is back in, and you would expect him to get that job. Well, maybe that's I might add that to my plays. My three, two, one. That's great insight. Thank you. Um, yeah, I might be laying uh, Lockie Neal again at the price at the moment, but I think Melbourne might get the chocolates uh, on Friday night. But we'll touch on them in a minute. Yeah, Cam Rayner, probably a career pe- best um, best game. He likely yep. three voter. He was yep. enormous. Kicked four, kicked three in the last. Yeah, won the game, got him over the line, and um, McCluggage and Mason Wood fighting out the other votes there. Gold Coast Suns versus Geelong. Um, the two stars for Geelong all year, probably in the votes, really even game, and I'm talking about Jeremy Cameron and Cam Guthrie. They're the two highest on the Brownlow Medal Predictor for Geelong. Jeremy Cameron's been fantastic this year. He didn't kick a bag of goals, but he had 21 disposals again, had three goals, 10 score involvements. He's now in the top 10. So we'll have our markets mm. up soon on uh, Betfair, um, our top 10, top five. He's right up there. He's had an enormous year, Jeremy Cameron. <laughs> Cam Guthrie um, led the Cats and all with 30 disposals, 10 contested possessions, 4 clearances and a goal. And Mark Blitzarves was the other one. Took Miller. He had an enormous game. He did. Mark Blitzarves, though, 27 disposals, 13 contested. He goes into the ruck as well. And um, two goals. It, it, you, I, I like the fact that there's some out-of-the-box thinkers in the All-Australian Selection Committee Ooh. this year. Yep. They've, they've changed a couple of spots and a couple of people have come in where I think who really push hard for them to say... Look at Mark Blixarf. Just look at the influence he's had. They're the best team in the comp, and he's one of their most influential players. Find a spot for him in the All-Australian. And it's so hard because he doesn't really have a position. He's an ultimate no. swingman. So where do they put him? That's what the interchange is for. <laughs> yeah, true. He Smack him on spot. the bench. You'd think so. Well like Geelong, and we, we've touched on this throughout our, our shows, Geelong haven't had a standout player all season besides Jeremy Cameron, right? They've been such an mm. even output 
in terms of their Hawkins team. Hawkins had a very good year as well, but they, they tend to do it by committee. They are. That's spot on. Well mm. said. Um, took Stuart Miller. was having a very, very good year, obviously, until he got suspended, and he'll be a big... He'll have a big say in their fortunes come finals as well. And what Took Miller's game was big too. Are you thinking a sneaky one voter? I don't think he'll get votes. I think Blitzars, Cameron and Guthrie were the standouts. They got beaten comprehensively, the Gold Coast Suns. Yeah. But he had 38 disposals, 28 kicks, 734 metres gained. They got beaten by 60 points. So he might be able to sneak one. Um, but, yeah, what a game for in a losing team. So we're going to go through the leader, the the. the Betfair um, Brownlow predictor the leaderboard as it currently stands in just a moment but we know that Christian Petrarca and we know that Clayton Oliver are at the very pointy end of uh, said predictor ladder how did they fare you in your view and then the predictor's view for votes uh, in the win over Carlton yeah Petrarca had 24 dis- disposals one goal one only one tackle he's very unlikely to poll votes so he drifted slightly in the market Clayton Oliver was really good second for disposals 29 uh First for inside 50s, he with eight equal uh, first for contested possessions. But Angus Brayshaw likely to get the three. He was enormous. Um, mm. Replicated his performances back from 2018. He, he came third in the Brownlow, if you remember that. Amazing. Third or fourth? Third or fourth, yeah. I'm not, I can't remember. It says third it here. definitely I'll, top five. Definitely top five. i my stats here. Yeah. Um, so he had 38 disposals. Um, nine better than the next blessed, um, amazingly. 19 contested possessions, 12 clearances. So Steve May was big. He was big. Jake Melksham was fantastic up Wasn't forward he four as well. Goals. So he was a bit of the barometer. Um, I doubt they get over the line without him obviously kicking four. Mm. So, um, yeah, Clayton Oliver might pull one there. Pretty even performance. Petraka, very unlikely. Um, and Andrew Brayshaw didn't affect the best players at all again. 22 disposals against West Coast and only the nine kicks. So he's yeah, had a he's bad had, end of the year. Yeah, he's, had, he's gone a little bit cold mm. um, in, in term, uh, according to the predictor. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Sydney Collingwood, uh, any vo- uh, who, where are the votes going, according to the predictor? Yeah, well... Swans um, uh, stopping that run of 11 straight of the Pies. Yes, as I mentioned, um, we'll have the top 10. We'll have the teams up very shortly on Brownlow, uh, on betfair.com.au. Callum, Callum Mills, Mills is a really interesting one. Top 10 in the Brownlow medal predictor. He might be a bit of value when the markets come up, uh, everyone out there. So um, he played a terrific all-round game, likely to get the three. He had uh, 29 disposals, nine marks, seven tackles, 13 contested possessions. So he might get three. He's moved up to the top 10, amazingly, for Sydney. Again, like Geelong, a very even team that don't really have a standout. They're, they're doing it by committee, as you said, Sam. So, um, yeah, Callum Mills, one to keep an eye on when we get those futures markets up. Uh, well, let's have a look at that now. Let's um, have a look at the market. So, what we're looking at here, 2022 Brownlow Medal Predictor, all thanks to Betfair, game responsibly, one 858 Now at the top, clear by two and a half votes, Lockie Neal, uh, on 28 and a half votes. You're expecting that it, um, he, he, no votes in round 22, but a two-voter, it's actually had a little, been a little quieter since the bye. You've got him polling in three games, um, and they're two voters, not the three voters. Yeah, spot on. So he's found one better. Um, and the, if the predictor's right, Oliver's the only man that can catch him, basically. So obviously Melbourne versus uh, Brisbane on Friday night, twenty-eight and a half. Oliver's on twenty-six. Andrew Brayshaw, if he polls three, or Christopher Tracker polls three, they could tie him based on our predictor. Um, but they're three votes, perfect three votes behind. Clayton Oliver's two and a half behind. Um, if Oliver, if Neil gets tagged on Friday night, it's going to be fascinating. But 
28 and a half votes, Lockie Neal. He's $2.86 at the moment. We've got Andrew Brayshaw, $5.10. Clayton Oliver, $6.20. Took Miller, $8.20. Paddy Cripps, $9.40. Petraka, $11. So as it stands, Lockie Neal, 28 and a half. Clayton Oliver, 26 votes. Andrew Brayshaw and Christian Petraka, even on 25 and a half. Then you've got Cripps, Took Miller, Callum Mills, Jeremy Cameron, and Sam Walsh making up that top seven or eight. Just worth remembering, too, that the Betfair Brownlow predictor has predicted the last three three Brownlow medalists and, and the runner-up. So it's Quinella the last two. So this is fascinating. So Friday night's going to decide who finishes in the top four out of Brisbane and Melbourne. What a it's, round of football. It's also going, going to decide potentially the Brownlow medalist, according to the Betfair Brownlow medal predictor. We've been talking about this since the first show I came on. I yep. highlighted this match and said, and it's amazing it's come to fruition, that this night, it's got so much ramif- so many ramif- ramifications, but the whole round in, in itself, Carlton Collingwood, what a match that's going to be! I can't wait for that. Um, yeah, it's it's heating up. Who wins Friday night? That's the question, Sam. You got to. Uh, I think Brisbane win up there. Yep. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I, I'm genuinely the markets are fascinating. Like it's so even. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Melbourne win if they tag Neil out of the game and Melbourne get well, the chocolates. I, they got the wood over. I days. think that. Fags will look to do something similar with either Petrarca or Oliver. It's just a matter of who he goes to. Who's more damaging? Uh, well, Petrarca, you would think, is more damaging. Oliver... Harder to tag Oliver, isn't it? I would think Oliver's harder to tag. Um, but I think that they've got someone there who could be very... Uh, who could be fit for the job in Reese Matheson. But Barometer. Um, Himself, I think he could be the one. Um, but it's going to be what what is going to. You've got a defence at the moment that's struggling for Brisbane defensively. They're not where they want to be, but an attack from Melbourne that's not where they need it to be. That's um, always been Melbourne's issue over the last two years. Yeah, they as got well. it right in the back end the of last year there, and yeah. in the finals, and it, and it clicked. Yep. But it's not clicking for them now. I think they've fallen to about seventeenth for goals for inside fifty efficiency. They're just low twenty percent. Really interesting. Um, so that's going to be a struggle. What, what hasn't happened? And Brisbane are the highest um, scoring team in the comp. But the argument is that since Hipwood and McStay and, and Dan, they haven't all really got it going on the same night. So if they can have the game that we think that that forward line can have, I, I think they can do some real damage because they'll stretch, they'll stretch that Melbourne defence, and I just like them better at the Gabba. What um, do we make of last time they met at the G? Obviously Brisbane were oh, you legless. Can take plenty out of that. Yeah, they were awful. Brisbane that's, were. That's awful. the worst game they played for two or three seasons. I reckon. They yeah. were, and Melbourne were phenomenal. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Um, oh, a lot of people I speak to out there and some of our listeners might feel the same. I'm just kind of waiting for Melbourne to click. They did it at the back end of last season. They got mm. to finals. Remember they beat Geelong after the siren and since then they looked un- unbeatable, basically. Um, and then they started the season. I'm just waiting for them to replicate their their good form. But that that match, I'll be glued to my TV Friday night. I can't wait for that. Um, who wins out of Carlton Collingwood? Do you have a tip there, Sam? Just before we get to... I was watching Footy Classified last night and they put a, a form line up. Um, the Ds were obviously 10-0 and 0 from rounds 1 to 10. Um, nine out of uh, the 10 teams currently sitting outside the top eight. Eight out of 11 teams sitting inside the top eight from rounds 11 to 22. They're five and six. Mm. Um, and against those top eight teams, they're three and five. Now, Brisbane is one of those teams. But from defensive 50 to inside 50, they're ranked 10th. And from defensive 50 to scores, they're ranked 11th. I thought they were really telling stats. So there's just 
they're just not the connectivity, the synergy, the whatever you want to call it. It's just not quite there at the moment for Melbourne. But they are a, a very, I mean, they're, they're elite. They are an elite team. So um, when it does click, it clicks in brutal and destructive fashion. They've we know, probably but. also had a hard run. They've played seven or eight top eight teams yeah. in the last 10 or 11 rounds yeah, as but well. That's, but don't you want that when you're leading you into finals? Because that, that's who you're going to play in finals. Last year, they were primed and on a, an upward trajectory. Yep. At the moment, they're not playing the same way and as well at this stage of this year as they were at this stage of last year. So that's that's a concern. Makes it so interesting. But I don't think round. Brisbane are either. Brisbane are hit and miss. They're yep. playing brilliant halves of football and yep. missing a quarter. And Yeah, it's... Oh, it's such an interesting final round. It is. And then you've got Carlton Collingwood. Who wins that? I still don't know. <laughs> I still don't know. Six weeks ago, I did a predictive uh, top eight for the end of the year by tipping every result that I thought yes. would, how it would go. It hasn't always gone. <laughs> I had Carlton then, Hard but enough do I to have tip. Carlton now? I'm, I'm not sure. Hard enough to tip week by week, let alone 10 weeks in advance. Yeah, yeah. I did not cop it. <laughs> hey, um, we've got to look ahead to this round. Um, we'll give you the round firmers and drifters. And we'll get uh, Tommy's three, two, and one best bets for this round. On the Brownlow Metal Predictor, it is all for Betfair. Uh, by the way, make sure you're always gambling responsibly. one 800 But Betfair's Brownlow Predictor, it's been right three years in a row. Check it out today. We will check you out on the other side of this. This is the Betfair Brownlow Lowdown. Betfair's Brownlow Predictor has been right three years in a row. Check it out today. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Time to have a look at some of the round 23 firmers and drifters. Tommy Haylock, before we get to that, off the text, Tom Owen South Morang, I backed Prittis at 60s when he won, and Guthrie oh. has similar qualities and looks... and looks uh, hard to go past Neil, though. Uh, thank you for that, Tomo. Righto. Uh, at the moment, equal ninth on the Betfair predictor is Cam Guthrie. It's got him at 16.5 votes alongside Dion Prestia. Just quickly, oftentimes the winner has a great back end of the year and comes home with a wet sail. There hasn't been many that have done that, amazingly. No, and we haven't, not many of our top five have had great. I mean, Petrarca's polled regularly, but not but not looking at the Betfair predictor, not big votes. And you know when you go and on the night, you see all the form guys for the Brownlow and they have vote, vote, vote. It's going to be different this year. There was a lot of people that had outstanding starts. The year. Cripps is one of them. Cripps, um, we talk about Cripps now. He, what a turnaround it was. He moved to the bottom of the market for um, obviously getting suspended. We kept him in, but I got it a bit wrong last week. But he traded at small amounts over $180 and as much as $500 um, after he got suspended. Um he traded as low as $2.92 earlier in the season. Yeah. So he was very short price favourite. Um, so he's traded two ninety two dollars and $500 in the same year. Big and he's now at $11. Yeah. Miller's stayed about the same recently. Brayshaw, um, amazingly, is still around that 550 530 mark, considering he hasn't polled in his last six or seven matches. Oliver's steady at $6. Lockie Neal, $2.60 out to $3. is now firming in a little bit at $2.86. Walsh is the big drifter. He hasn't polled um, recently. He's close to $50. He was $9.40 earlier in the year. So if you laid him at that $9.40 or $10 mark, you can make profit and back him back at the $50 and just trade that way. Some players to watch this weekend. We were thinking before, who does Fagan tag? Is it Oliver or Petrarca? Uh, go through both of their records against Brisbane in recent times. Yeah, let's have a look at some stats. So Clayton Oliver, polling history versus Brisbane. Um, when they met round 15, he had 35 disposals, five coaches votes, um, 
eight um, in the age votes and three Herald Sun votes. Likely to poll votes there. They won by 64, so it might be a bit of a lottery. He had 25 disposals in round 12, 2021, no votes. But before that, round 8, 2020, he had 28 disposals and two Brownlow medal votes. Um, and they beat Brisbane in 2019. So they lost to Brisbane in 2019, but beat them in 2018. He had 36 and 35. So he's had 35 disposals, 36 disposals, and 35 disposals in the last four of his, or three of his last five games. So he polls uh, or plays well against Melbourne. Petraka, 31 disposals last time they met, unlikely to get votes. He got five coaches' votes, but um, scored zero goals too. He had a good game when they met in that massive win against Brisbane. Um, before that, he's had 26, 24, 21, 24, 22 disposals. So it's been a bit quiet against Brisbane, so maybe they've done a job on him. Um, which is interesting, but he did poll three Brownlow votes um, last time, last year in round 12, 2021. He had 26 and two goals, so he did all right then. Any other players we should be keeping an eye on for well, round 23? Well, Lockie Neal's a big one, obviously, is leading the Brownlow meta predictor. Last time they played, they, they did a number on him. Um, he only had the 22 disposals, not in the best. They got walloped. Um, round 12, 2021, when they played, he had 25 possessions, no Brownlow votes, but the round before that, Around eight twenty twenty, 2020, he had 33 disposals, 10 coaches' votes, and three uh, Brownlow votes. So um, he's in the mix. Then you've got the others. Andrew Brayshaw versus Gold Coast. He polled two votes when they met last year. He had 29 disposals, zero goals, one. Um, when they played each other round nine, he had 26 disposals and played pretty well that game as well. Then you've got Cripps, the big one. Um, the big inclusion, the story all last week. Um, he's got an interesting record against Collingwood. He hasn't um, been overly good in the last few weeks, um, or last few games against Collingwood. He had 25 disposals when they met in round 11. It was a good game. He had one goal, one. He was fourth best, but they got beaten by four points. Um, before that, he had 20, 21 disposals last year, and then in 2020, he only had 16 disposals. So um, his last two games, three games, um, unlikely to poll, but before that, he polled all right. So um, a bit of hit and miss there from those players. It's nothing concrete. No players heading into this round that you can stamp and said they've they've dominated against this team. They're likely to do so again. All right. Well, let's see what we can stamp. Give us your three, two, one for your best bets. Uh, make sure you are gambling responsibly, and remember you can lay bet on AFL markets only at Betfair. One eight hundred eight five eight eight five eight. Because of what I've just read out, I found the actual stats and the Brownlow medal pretty hard to predict this week. There's no players that are really stamping their authority on the opposition. I think Melbourne are the value heading into Friday night. Um, it's a real 50-50 toss of the coin, but you're getting $2.10 Melbourne, so I'm leaning that way as my one vote. $2.10 at the moment. I'm happy to take that against Brisbane. They smashed them last time they met. I'm just waiting for Melbourne to click. I think the midfield might be dominant and uh, they can do a number on Lockie Neal there. So that's my one voter. Sammy, Two-voter. I think Colton are really good value against Collingwood. You see teams that string lots of wins together. They lose one. They often lose two or three. Um, Colton yeah, was there's, superb there's last week. Th- there's a line of thought around that. Carlton was superb last week. They were. I thought they Unlucky. played. I thought they played really good football. They impressed me. And I think if they bring that same level of effort and pressure, they can beat Collingwood. They, so. they got beaten by a better drilled side in in the moment that it mattered, in that last minute to two minutes. That, that, that's what they got beaten by. And and there's the old fool me once, shame on uh, you, fool me uh, twice, shame on me. Uh, there's all that. And, and then if you just go the George W, it's, you, can't, you can't get fooled again. Um, <laughs> that kick into the middle yeah. late in the game. The match winner. And, and, the, and the bounce to get it over. I mean, it, it, they got a lucky there. bounce to get it over Motlop. But uh, all right, your three voter. 
And by the way, Carlton, just they just have to win to make finals. So <laughs> there's a desperation there that might come through for them. It's a final. They're playing at $1.96 on betfair.com. Oliver, I'm back in to win the Brownlow. My three voter. Yeah. We should have got a drum roll. I... I I obviously chips in Melbourne about Brisbane a little bit, so that's the way I'm leaning. I think Oliver won't they won't tag him. I think Neil can be tagged and Oliver to win the Brownlow is mine. Who wins before we go? You got who wins the Brownlow? I got Lockie Neil. Lockie Neil. You're going with the predictor. Why not? Well, it's been right three That's years in right. a row That's and right. the runner-up as well. So three years in a row, there's been Quinellas. Hey, if you're following on the Brownlow Medal Predictor on Betfair and you are having a punt, make sure you gamble responsibly, one 858 Hey, we'll speak to you before the Brownlow, maybe even on the night of the Brownlow, yet to be determined. But uh, enjoy round 23, Tommy. We'll speak to you next week. I'll be glued to the TV. Thank you very much, mate. Hey, that's it for the Brownlow Lowdown. All thanks to Betfair. Off the tee with Nick Ahern up next. Live around Australia on SEN, welcome to Off The Tee. Talking all things golf with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Ah, yes, indeed. Very good evening to you. Welcome to Off The Tee. Uh, Sam Hargraves joined by the former world number 16, the only man with a two-zip record in match play golf against the Tiger Woods, the speaker course of Nick O'Hearn. Hello, mate. Sam, great to be here. We've got so much to talk about, haven't we? Oh dear. <laughs> An hour we just it's just not enough time. It is just not enough time to go through all the doings, the oh, goings on. We'll get as much in as we in can. The world. <laughs> oh, there's more lawsuits. There's there's like um there's what what would you call a secret? There's like the Illuminati of uh, mm. of golf meeting in secret. The top 20 players in the world heeding the call of Tiger Woods to say, right, we're going to meet and we're going to figure out what to do about this live golf situation. Secret play meetings. You've got to love those. (laughs) Don't you? He flew on the private jet. There's paparazzi photos of him striding off the plane with purpose and intent. And, of course, we're right in the middle of FedEx Cup. I know. Um, So let's start with results. We like to ease our way in and start with results. So let's start with a result that um, we all thought was a matter of when and not if, but Will Zalatoris finally saluting uh, on the US tour, and this was how it unfolded on the final hole. This is dangerously right. That is on a, an aggressive line. It just hops along and wedges in between the grass in that stone wall. Solid, solid. And it was. And he's got it. Finally, Zala Torres is a PGA Tour winner. So beautifully called as it always is by Jim, uh, and he doesn't need many words to sum up exactly what the situation is, and that was exactly the situation, Nick. Finally, uh, Will Zalatoris, who's been threatening, um, his results in majors of recent times have been phenomenal. He's been, he's rocketed up the the rankings, and, and he's been in top tens and top fives, and he just hasn't been able to get that win. In the most wild of wild scenes, Straka has to birdie the last to tie it up, and then they go to a third-hole playoff after head-scratching 
playoff holes that unfolded before it. Take us through it. Oh, it was crazy, wasn't it? I mean, the final round, I mean, it all started... Well, we, we can go back to the whole Cam Smith saga, but I'm not going to get onto that just yet. But Seb Straka uh, played an amazing shot into the last hole to get into the playoff. They go three holes in this playoff. And the thing about Zalatoris, which is fascinating to me, is everyone thinks he's been around for quite some time, but he actually hasn't. He's still almost... He's basically a rookie. He did play some events last year, but re- mm. really this is his rookie season. And he's been playing so well, and he does so well in majors. That's the huge thing. I mean, his results in majors is unbelievable. Uh, where he lost... He was second to Matt, Fitz, Matt Fitzpatrick at the US Open. He lost in a playoff to Justin Thomas earlier this year. And for him to get this win is just a massive monkey off his back. But to be honest... He almost didn't, I'm not going to say he didn't deserve this win, but it was almost a win that you thought he almost shouldn't have won the way the playoff sort of uh, worked its way out. On one of the playoff holes, I think it was the second time around, he hit a drive well to the right. I've played this golf course many times. It's called TPC Southwind in Memphis. Great place to go because Graceland's not from that far away. You can go visit where Elvis was, which is awesome. But he's hit this drive, you know, up the right, and he's hit the cart path. It should have gone out of bounds, hit some trees, dropped down. He pitches out, makes par. I think he was in someone's front yard, wasn't he? And while he's in someone's front yard, (laughs) Sepp Straka's got a foot in the water because he couldn't land it on the fairway either. Oh, he's pulled his tee shot. Really, that ball should have gone in the water. But as it turned out, he took a drop. So whether he hit it in the water or not didn't really make much difference because he pretty much played his next shot from where it was. And rather than pitching it up the fairway, he elected to take a drop, which is a bit of a surprise, but it was a great move because he hit a shot to about six feet, made that putt after Zalatoris made about a 15-foot putt. So then they go to this third extra hole, the playoff, the 11th hole. It's a similar version, I guess you could say, as the 17th at TPC Sawgrass. It's an island green. Again, it's actually a lot bigger than the island green at Sawgrass. I've played this hole many times. Not that difficult, although, you know, in a playoff, obviously, FedEx Cup, lots of money on the line. You could say it's difficult. All Seb Stryker had to do was hit a 9-9 to the middle of the green, and it was just a horrific shot. And how Zalatoris's ball stood up, I will never know. But one thing Bounce, I would have... At five bounces yeah. on cobblestone. You know what I would have loved is after he made the putt to win the playoff, I would have, I would have loved him to go back over to where that ball was originally and just chip one just to see what would have happened because I guarantee you it probably would have gone back into the water. It was a good decision because his caddy talked him into it. They deliberated over that a long time and you could even feel the commentators saying, oh, is he going to... Mm. He's not going to, is he? No. Surely he's not going to. Yeah, I, you could get a nice close-up of it on the TV and if he'd have hit that ball, I guarantee you it would have gone backwards straight in the water. So it was a... Very good decision on his part. Trusted his wedge game to get it up and down. Worst case scenario, they're going out another hole in the playoff. But you know, he hit a beautiful wedge shot in there at about six feet and rolled it in. And the, you know, a lot of the criticism over this past year or so with Zalatoris has been his putting. It's a bit of a wobbly stroke from three, four, five he's got feet. The broomstick, and he's got a weird grip on the well, broomstick. It, yeah, it's not actually a broomstick. It's one of these putters which you anchor up your arm. Um, so, he's, right, so he's okay. anchoring on his arm like yep. Matt Kuchar sort of started and then he's also got the claw grip so there's almost nowhere else to go after this <laughs> Yeah, but he's actually one of the better putters on tour which you don't realise because his stroke from 3 or 4 feet is not pretty it is not pretty at all but from long range is actually pretty good so all credit to him he's one of the best ball strikers in the world and he finally got that win start of the year ranked number 34 in the world a lot of that's because of his majors form he's now number 9 uh, in the world and, and and looming. You mentioned his record in majors. So he's played in 11 and he's had six top 10 finishes. That's incredible. Three seconds. Mm. 
It's oh, just incredible. I mean... He's a big-time he, player. He's a big-time player. You're exactly right. I mean, on the Corn Ferry Tour, when he was there, he almost dominated that tour, uh, won several events there, and got promotion up to the big tour. And the majors is, funnily, funnily enough, where he flourishes. And, and he's kind of got that twinkle in his eye, that look that when the pressure's on, he thrives. And he loves it. And that's what you hope to see in the young players. Second at the Masters 2021. Second in the PGA Championship this year. Second at the US Open, tied for second this year. Uh, he, he withdrew from uh, the Open Championship last year um, and played this year and was tied for 28th. So Disappointing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah no, Everything it's... else has got single figures at some point. But, um, and the other thing, the, the, the man he beat, Seb Strucker, misses six cuts in a row coming to this tournament mm. and then is all of a sudden in a playoff. That's the beauty of this game, isn't and, it? And tied for sixth, um, he was um, Will Zalatoris at the Masters this year. Best of the Aussies, Adam Scott, tied for fifth, played... Really well. Yeah, he needed to as well because he was outside that top 70 in the FedEx Cup World Rankings because this event was the top 125 and now the top 70 move into the second playoff event. He was ranked 77 coming in and he shot up to 45, had a really good last round of four under par. Uh, Cam Davis, another solid event for him, tied 13th. He, uh, he went to 51st on the rankings. Cam Smith who now there's a bit of controversy with Cam. We can go through that. There was a lot. So we know that the tournament started with him having to deflect, duck. He, he, the three Ds of dodgeball he executed mm. perfectly. <laughs> duck, dodge, dip, dive, and dodge. He did all of it in the presser beforehand about the belief that the reports are confirm, saying that there is no doubt now it's locked in, he is going to live golf. He is. He did say, though, in an interview during the tournament, he said... I know I'm going to come under some heat. Mm, prepared to cop some heat, he said. Prepared to cop some he heat. He still has not said that he's going. That's the thing. I know everyone's saying, but he's said he's not, he hasn't made a commitment yet. So obviously the people around him that know him are saying, yes, he's going. Yeah. But until he says, I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep that one on the fence. But the, he had a couple of interesting things. First round, Scotty Scheffler walks over his line. What did you make of this? <laughs> Everyone made such a big deal of it. It happens. I've done it before. It it's it? happened to me. Yes, it does. It's a it's a rare incidence. And Scheffler was playing terrible at the time, so he was he saw he didn't actually walk on his line. He walked uh, on the line between Cam and where his ball was, where, and and it wasn't between the ball and the mm. hole. So you got to realize that it's one of those you know etiquette things where you go, oh gee, that was that was a bit of a you know I guess you could say a bit of a stupid move, but he probably didn't know he did it, and and it got blown up. Cam just sort of, yeah, no problem at all. In Gave that, him a look he happens. and then went back to yeah, exactly. sizing up his putt. Scotty's not a guy that would do but that. But it is one of the first things my nan taught me when she taught me how to play. Uh, don't you ever walk across somebody's line. <laughs> yeah, and people started saying, oh, well, maybe he's thinking he's going to live. I'm just going to annoy him a little bit here. But, you know, that's, that's something. The other thing that happened to him was he got that two-stroke penalty uh, after the second round. I don't know if you saw that at all, but yeah. he, his ball, he didn't take proper relief. So he did break the rule, but... They waited till just before the third round on the Saturday, the next day, to penalise him two shots. Now, there's a bit of an issue with this rule because a lot of people would have put money on him, basically, going into that third round. Mm. And, oh, actually, sorry, into the fourth into round. The fourth, it was. Yeah, it was I didn't the want to correct round. you. No. But, uh, yeah, it was going no, into right. the fourth. So all those people that put money on him have all of a sudden gone, hang on, now he's two shots further back. Well, maybe I shouldn't have. So they need to sort of sort, sort that stuff out, I would imagine. But And then afterwards, after the tournament, he's now withdrawn from the next FedEx Cup event through what he calls hip discomfort. That was the big thing. So now all the, again, the people who are saying he's going to live, it's like a a bit of a stuff you sort of moment to say, well, you know, you gave him this two-shot penalty. 
uh, I'm going to withdraw mm. from the next. He's only event. four shots off the pace. Too, and we know how he likes to close out a, yeah. a final day. But that made him six shots off. Can can still remarkably, considering where he's placed, it is still possible that he can win it. Oh, quite easily. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he'll miss this week's event, no problem. I mean, he moved from what was it, second on the FedEx Cup list to number three. After this week, he'll probably move back further to seven or eight. Still be in the top ten. So if he wins the last event, he'll win the FedEx Cup. And that carrot there is dangling of eighteen million US dollars for the FedEx Cup winner. So it's uh, it's one of those things. That, and again, some people are saying, well, he wanted a week off to rest because after that final event, then you've got a couple of live golf tournaments going on. So he didn't want to play four weeks in a row. There's so much rumours going around. It's incredible. Because the first live event is, I think, September second that he would be playing in if he is, uh, as everybody believes, <laughs> and as everybody as is you reporting. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that it's the reporting is just so is just so definitive, um, and anybody who's connected to anybody within the tour and uh, they're just unequivocal now. So, yeah. um, and the fact that he just hasn't denied it. Yeah, I know. It's... Everybody who's been linked to it has been very quick to say I'm not. More often than not, we know that Phil had an implosion, and mm. we're not quite sure what happened with him there. But those who aren't and were linked were very quick and decisive to say uh uh-uh, uh I'm not going. Yeah. I know he's been asked several times and he you know the, we had the whole uh you know when when you want some news on something Cameron Smith will tell you not Cameron Percy that was last week cuz Cam Percy came out and said he was going along with Mark Leishman. I actually haven't heard any comments from Mark Leishman, you know, as to whether he's confirmed or denied it as well. Well, you know why? Because he's getting the nice little slipstream in behind Cam. All the attention at Cam. Flying under the radar. All the attention at Cam. And then just at the last little minute, he'll pop out and cross the line, the live line. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I think the less time those guys spend in front of uh, microphones, the better, basically. And they're looking to avoid microphones at all costs. So... Uh, there's still so much to get through. Uh, we've only just scratched the surface. There is plenty still to come on Off The Tee. You can get involved with us, 0433 98 11 16. You can call as well, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We'll tap into Nick's knowledge. There'll be a tip from Nick Ahern to finish out the show, as there always is, from his uh, book, How to Play Your Best Golf. Uh, and for our very new friends at Big Swing Golf, where you can go and play a simulation of the greatest courses around the world, uh, Nick Ahern, who's actually played them, is going to give us uh, his rundown of a particular course that tickles his fancy this week. We'll reveal that a little later on as well. This is Off The Tee. You're listening to Off The Tee with Nick Ohern and Sam Hargraves. Listen back to any part of the show you might have missed by subscribing to the Off The Tee podcast. We still need to discuss the top 20, the secret players meeting that's not so secret now, called by Tiger Woods, a call to arms. Uh, The bat signal went up, or the Tiger signal went up, and uh, everybody answered the call. So we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. And and also Patrick Reed's lawsuit uh, that he has lodged, a defamation lawsuit, which is... Well, I'll be careful what I say because it looks like he'll sue anyone for anything. Um, just a couple other results. Hey, we didn't get through the rest of the Aussies at the FedEx and Jude's Championship. This is the first stage of uh, the FedEx Cup. Uh, Will Zalatoris winning it, third hole of the sudden death playoff. Cam Smith, uh, sorry, Adam Scott, we mentioned tied for fifth. Um, tied for 13th, along with Cam Smith, was Cam Davis. Um, having a really solid year, isn't he? And, and, and pockets about $260,000 US. 
He does, and uh, moves up to 51st in that FedEx Cup rankings, which is very important. He'll need to improve into that top 30 to get into the last event, the third of the playoffs. But another good week here, and uh, and he can shoot right up there. Mark Leishman didn't play very well. Uh, he ended having up having a tough year, isn't he? He's Leish? having a bit of well. Again, I wouldn't feel too sorry for him. He's still, uh, you know, he moved back to 68th on the on the FedEx Cup list, mm. so he's doing okay. And a couple of miscuts uh, by Jason Day had a great first round, and then he it all fell away in yeah. round two. And he, now he's out of it. He's going to have a bit of time off now because he's out of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, and Lucas Herbert, uh, he missed the cut as well, but he's still in there. He's 54th. Just a couple of the funny, funnier stories that came out of it. I don't know if you saw uh, Denny McCarthy. I've been trying to find the audio of it, but I haven't been able to. Um, Denny McCarthy, all-time birdie, I reckon you would say. Um, he had his tee shot on the second hole land in, you know, those fold-out camping chairs? Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember seeing a picture of this. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it landed in the, what is the, the stubby holder. Yeah, play it as it lies, right? Play, well, yeah. <laughs> So has to obviously they have to remove it from there, and um, he's in the the sawdust sort of stuff though. Ended up making a birdie. Oh, that's the beauty of golf. After landing yeah. it in the cup holder the of cup somebody's holder. chair. Yeah, no, I've I've seen a couple of things like that in in backpacks and uh, someone's blanket when they're having a picnic and things like Where's that. Where's the weirdest spot you ever put a ball? Oh, well, out of bounds, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> now I've, I've hit a few people, which is never nice. So um, you, you just yell for and just hope. He, he launched the shot through the trees and off the rough, um, in, into the rough sort of sawdust stuff, um, nearly 33 feet from the hole, but he was able to make the birdie with a monster putt. So that was awesome. Cam Smith, by the way, is getting a lot of knocks at the moment, but a shot of his that actually broke the phone of a spectator, not only did he sign some paraphernalia for him, he got the guy's details and uh, said, I'll replace that, and a new iPhone 13 uh, showed up at that spectator. So that is a lovely gesture from Cam Smith because I think it's, if you rock up to a golf tournament, you know that if you're in the gallery, then balls may find you. Mm. And whatever will be, will be. You, you you know that going in. So I think that's a really nice gesture from Cam Smith. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, the tour has an insurance policy, so if anyone does get injured when they're in there, it's on their tickets, things like that, you know, the, in the, uh, in the I guess, the, the fine print, that if anything happens and someone gets injured, then it's all covered. But a phone, that's impressive by Cam to go out of his way to do that, for sure. I know there's another, um, a lot of other Aussie results we've got to get through, but... What about uh, the a special week for Harrison Endicott? It was, yeah, on the Corn Ferry Tour. Mm. He wrapped up his, his PGA Tour card for next season, which is just amazing. And he's done that by being in the top 25 from the, from the year-long season that they have. There's another chance for four other players to get a card as well. They're going into what they call the Corn Ferry Finals. But Harrison yep. Endicott's played great all year, had one victory back in May. And it was really kind of an emotional thing for him. I don't know if you saw any of the highlights, but he ended up finishing 55th in the last event of the season before the final start. But his dad, Brian, was there, which was mm. fantastic. And you yep. just see how much it meant to both of them because his mum passed away uh, some years ago with ovarian cancer. And now he's got his dad and he flew over for this final event. And I believe he got about the 21st card out of the 25. It was fantastic. Turned pro in 2017 and took the road a little bit less travelled. Wanted to get out of his comfort zone. I was reading the report on the, the PGA website, um, pga.org, the Australian one. He went and played the PGA Tour Latin America circuit. He played in Guatemala, Mexico, Costa Rica, Brazil. Um, three consecutive top five finishes. Um, late in the year, he finished 19th on the order of merit. And then it was that he went to the Corn Ferry and he's been plying his trade there for a few years now. And uh, reward for effort, perseverance, rap for him. Oh, absolutely. And he's, you know, he's done it the hard way. I mean, that Latino tour, that's, that is a grind. Ryan mm. Ruffles has been there, down there trying to play and plot his way around. And it's, 
it's you know it's a stepping stone to get into into the bigger events and and Harrison's done really well. The, the four other players that are starting in this Corn Ferry Tour Finals uh, this particular week, though the first events in Boise, Idaho, uh, is Anthony Quayle, and you've got Minwoo Lee. He's actually coming across to play in these finals. He's like 68 in the world, and he's trying to get a card on the PGA Tour. Jason Scrivener, uh, and also uh, someone who's won several times on the PGA Tour, Aaron Badley. He didn't have a great year, but he stayed within that top 200, and he'll be trying to get one uh, a card back on the main tour. What about some other results from uh, Aussies abroad? Oh, we had event, an event. Uh, it was an interesting one. Uh, the LPGA and the, which is the US Women's Tour and the mm. European Ladies Tour, the LET, played an event alongside the Men's DP World Tour, so the Europeans uh, over in Northern Ireland at the Galgorm and Massarine Golf Clubs. Um, on the men's side, Scotland's Ewan Ferguson. He won uh, by two over fellow Scott uh, Connor Syme. And on the women's side, Maya Stark. This is uh, our Maya Stark. Maya we've been, Stark. We've been talking her up since she came out to Australia earlier this year. New South Wales uh, Open, is that right? Or was it the... Uh, bon- won their Bonville. Bonville Classic. Yeah, the, That's the, the, the classic one. at Bonville. That's correct, yeah. So, so she, she had a win. So now she gets her LPGA to a card because it's co-sanctioned with big, the LAT. Big things. I'm massive. telling you, big things coming from my Stark, the a- Swede. Absolutely massive. On the men's side, for in, in this particular uh, event for the Aussies, Jake McLeod was best at tied 23. And on the women's, Karis Davidson, uh, T18. I want to give a big shout-out on the Epson Tour, which is a secondary tour on the women's side, to Cassie Porter, who played, yeah. in, played in her first event over there, the Four Wind Invitational at South Bend. Finished tied for eighth. An amazing event, uh, effort in her first event, which was great. Tell us a bit more about Cassie. Well, Cassie's for a Queenslander, and she's actually coached by my former caddy, Daniel Morrison, which is an interesting one. Way back when, when I won the, you know, I hate to say it, the 1999 Coolham Classic, uh, Morrow was on my bag, and now he's He's a, a coach and an outstanding um, coach in that at the Bridging Golf Club there up uh, up in Queensland, and uh, he's been guiding Cassie for quite a while now. Re- had a very good season on the WPGA Tour here in Australia, played a lot of events, very consistent player, and she's going to go some places. Let me tell you, this girl has a great head on her shoulders, a very good game, and has a good team around her. Brilliantly done. Uh, any other results that have tickled your fancy? Well, you know, Steve Olker on the Champions Tour. I know he's in New Zealand and not in Aussie, but he just keeps rolling along. Finished fifth over there. Uh, David McKenzie, that was the big one over there. Finished second. And David's a bit of a journeyman player. He's had some decent results on the Champions Tour, but he finished second. That moved him up into fifty. Uh, sorry, 45th in the Charles Schwab Cup, which is a big thing. You've got to be in that top 50. Uh, other Aussies there, tied eighth from Rod Pampling and tied 33rd from uh, from Stephen Leaney. More events to come in that regard. Aussies are doing well, and another good thing is with the Australian uh, new schedule just got announced as well, which is a huge thing. Uh, we've got 16 really good events coming up, and the biggest thing about these this new schedule is it's a pathway for all these young local Australians to get onto the big tours. They offer cards onto the DP World Tour, uh, pathways into qualifying schools over in the US, into Asia. It's a really good schedule coming up. Before we come back with the, the big news items in the world of golf and Lord knows there's plenty of those. Um, I was having a think about this as we've been talking. Will Zalatoris, so he claims his first win, and it would have been eating away. He hasn't been on the tour for very long, but the, when will he, when will he, when will he, and the pressure starts to build. With all delicacy and due respect, it was it was something that you weren't able to claim in your illustrious career, a, a PGA Tour win. I can take it. Did Don't it worry. eat away <laughs> at you, and, and does it still? I... I, you know, it's funny. I was talking about my wife, uh, talking about this to my wife earlier today. You know, talking about different things, and you know, I actually said, oh, "I wish I'd have won more." I mean, my game, interestingly enough, was 
was built on consistency. So yeah. I had a lot of top tens, a lot yeah. of good finishes, hit a lot of fairways, a lot of greens. But to do, to win, you got to do top something. Top twenty special. in the world. Yeah, I mean, and that was a big criticism of me. They used to say to me, "You're, you're number sixteen in the world, and yet you haven't won any over here in the US." And I used to say, "Well, I see it as a compliment. It means I'm pretty consistent." <laughs> <laughs> but they'd get annoyed with that answer. So. But for a player who, who hasn't won, you know, like a Will Zalatoris, he's early on in his career. Yeah. If you're 100, 200 events into your career and you haven't won, then, then it's going to grind it on you. But he's, you know, still only played 30 or 40 yeah. events on the PGA Tour, if that. Uh, so he's got a long way ahead of him to go. And he's had some very close finishes. And the thing about winning, as I said earlier, was he's been unlucky not to win those other ones. People have almost stolen it from him. This mm. one... Uh, I, I think he was lucky to win this one. Seb Straker had this one wrapped up if he could hit the middle of the green on that third playoff hole, but he didn't, and Will just took advantage of it, and all, all credit to him. Is there a tournament that sticks in your mind as that was the one? That, that, that was the one there that I really should have. Well, there was one in the European Tour. I was playing the Qatar uh, tournament, the one in Qatar, Doha, Qatar, and yep. uh, I had a two-shot lead with two holes to go, and my playing partner, Ratif Goosen, was playing with me. I finished par-par, and I lost the tournament. He finished birdie eagle. Oh, Retief. Yeah. Oh, Come on, Goose. Not happy. I mean, <laughs> he ended up being a neighbor, neighbor of mine in the US, and uh, I mentioned it to him one day. You still remember that putt that you hold in the last, that 60 footer? He says, oh, Do I ever? <laughs> wow. Uh, Nick Ahern, of course, uh, is the star of this show, Off the Tee. Sam Hargraves here as well. If you've got anything you'd like to add, one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 is the number. You can text in 0433981116. We'll be back with the big ticket items, the big news stories of the week in the world of golf after this. You're listening to Off the Tee with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Listen back to any part of the show you might have missed by subscribing to the Off the Tee podcast. Uh, this time every week we discuss the major news headlines in the world of golf. To get involved, one 736 736 You can text in 0433 981116 um, Nick O'Hearn, I think when Tiger Woods puts out a rally cry and says, I know that we're all focusing on the BMW Championship, which is uh, starting tonight. Uh, they tee off just after 11 o'clock uh, our time. I think the early groups start to go. Um, but I need to see you all, World Top 20, assemble. <laughs> uh, and assemble they did. So talk us through this this story. And, and it's a pretty big move. Tiger Woods, we know, um, knocked back about a billion dollars to be part of Live, and has been one of the most vocal opponents to it on the tour and the most openly critical of players who have signed with Live Golf. Mm. Yeah, well, from what I know, I mean, they had a scheduled player meeting with the PGA Tour uh, board uh, as, as part of, you know, they, they have these regular sort of meetings that they have. Now, this one was probably scheduled to talk to the players a little bit more, just an update about what's happening with Live, what's happening with the tour, what their plans are for future schedules, things like that. And then they've almost had this side meeting where the top 20 to 30 guys, I, I'm not actually sure of the numbers, have decided to get together and say, okay, let's, um, you know, let's discuss amongst ourselves maybe what our plan of attack is, what the best course of action is, whatever questions you have that come up. And obviously we know on the news we saw Tiger Woods fly in on the jet. Ricky Fowler was with him, which was very good of Ricky. It so, sort of actually goes goes to tell you what his mm. thoughts are because he's been one of these players which has been sitting on the fence of saying well I'm not actually quite sure I may go I may not and his form of the last few years hasn't been good so 
you can almost see why he would go. So that now puts him in the camp of he's on Tiger's side, obviously. Uh, Rory McIlroy, I thought he made a great comment, you know, because they were talking to him about, okay, you know, who sort of led the meeting, all, all this sort of stuff. Mm. And Rory goes, well... You know, uh, there was one alpha in the room, and it definitely wasn't me. (laughs) And he's the world number three, so we don't even know if Cam Smith was there. No, we don't. Well, I don't think he was because he wasn't at the golf tournament. He pulled out, so I I doubt he was there. in, in that, oh, actually, sorry. Yeah, no, he's pulled out of this, this week's yes, tournament. Yes, he has. So, so he would not have been there, I don't think. And to be honest, I don't think he would have wanted to be there because if he's going to live, mm. well, hang on, he's not going to be there. So Roy McIlroy also said, I think it shows how much he cares about the tour. I think it shows how much he cares about the players that are coming through and are going to be the next generation. Um, he said, like it or not, they, PGA, can't really sell Tiger Woods anymore. The tour had an easy job for 20 years. They don't have Tiger, yes, They've got a bunch of us, and we're all great players, but we're not Tiger Woods. We're moving into a different era, and we just have to think about these things uh, a little differently. World number seven, Justin Thomas, said that was huge. He's been great. Uh, he's been a great kind of. He's been. He has been a great kind of leading role in a lot of ways in the game for a lot of us. He he came because it was important to him. It probably was just not something that he felt was appropriate to do over Zoom or just call in. I think it shows how passionate he is about golf and wanting to improve it. So he's not even playing in this tournament, but it's, a vo- it's as a volatile a time as there's been in the history of golf, and leadership is needed regardless of what side you sit on this and where your allegiance will fall. But leadership is needed because it is uncharted waters. It certainly is, and, and years ago, a similar sort of thing happened with the tour, and the p- person they called up was Arnold Palmer to come in and have a chat, mm. and when Arnie came, he's the king, you listen. So in this case, we've got, you know, I guess you'd call the current king, which is Tiger Woods. For a lot of these young players, they probably have never played with him or against him because you know, they're sort of coming through the ranks, and, and they wouldn't have played, you know, in those peak years in the early two to 2000s and mid-2000s to 2010. That was when I was playing, so I knew the full effect of what Tiger had over the field and the aura that he dragged with him. Now, mm. he, I think his words in this meeting, again, I don't know exactly what would have happened, but it would have revolved around, about, uh, around okay, guys, we've got a history that we need to keep. There's this legacy in the sport, his legacy especially, that he wants to keep going. I mean, if it goes down this exhibition route, which they're talking of, whether you're winning majors, tournaments, those sorts of things, that's almost going to get diminished as it goes along, whereas... He wants to keep the tradition in the game, the 72 holes, playing for something, meaning something. Mm. And in a way, I can sort of see him protecting his legacy in a way. Um, but it, I, I full credit to him for going. This is an easier thing to accomplish in a sport that is not a team sport. This mm. is an individual sport. So is there potential that he has said, right, we need to unify and we need to start exerting whether it be... If they want to preserve what they have, and I'm... Do they now need to start campaigning the majors to say, hey, don't let these go? I mean, because because the players have been speaking out about the other players. Oh, you shouldn't go, or you, sh- you know, I'm going, or I'm not going. You shouldn't have gone. You can't have it both ways. You, you know, you, you, now there's a group that are suing. Um, we'll talk about that in just a moment as well. The three were unsuccessful in getting to play in the St. Jude. Is it now that the players need to actually push a little harder? If they are looking to preserve what they've got, to actually go and put pressure on Augusta, go and put pressure on the majors to say, don't let these guys play. Well, they can, but I'm not sure how they stand from a legal uh, basis. So whether the rules or the bylaws say certain things, I don't know at the moment. If you're top 50, and and, okay, so here's a couple of things that are in their favour, the PGA Tour, world ranking points is a massive thing right now. Live golf tournaments are not going to get 
world ranking points for at least a year, probably two to three years, to be honest. Because it's going to drag through. It's going to drag. Yep. Well, it has to take a while to get yep. to approve these points. Whether the courts or not, it doesn't matter. You mm. apply for world ranking points, and then that's a at least one year process to get world ranking points. Things that are not in their favour, 54-hole event, no cut, limited field. Those three things don't equate to world ranking points in the beginning. So Liv are going to actually have to change their model if they want to get these points, I believe. Mm. So that's going to take all these players. The only guy that's going to be left in that top 50 at the end of the year, I think, will be Dustin Johnson. The rest of them are outside the top 50. If you haven't won a major, sorry, but you're never going to play a major again unless other things happen down the road. If you have won a major, well, then you've got exempt status and things like that. However... When Patrick Reed goes and sues the PGA Tour and all this sort of stuff, and, and, you know, in effect, he's, well, sorry, he's not suing the PGA Tour. He's suing Golf Channel and Brandel Shamley, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I don't think Augusta National is going to take too kindly to that. I have a feeling they could just turn around and say, Patrick Reed, who's a Masters champion, mm. uh, sorry, don't bother coming this year. We're not inviting you. And they're well within their right to do that because they, they have a tournament which isn't really based on rules, to be honest. They kind of make They've their got, rules up as they go. <laughs> the other majors, now they have certain rules and regulations to follow, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the Masters is a different boat. So that's going to be the interesting one for me, the Masters. The majors have a big influence this and world ranking points. And those two areas are where this could be very, very interesting in the next six months. Jeff off the text thinks that the PGA Tour is dead. I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Again, I would love to, and, and, and again, there's different ways to see this. Some people are saying, well, they have to figure a way to coexist. The PGA Tour, if they, they keep just you know, butting their heads and saying, no, we, we're not going to let them in, not going to let them in, that's going to be a tough battle in the long run, and it'll drag, go through the courts, because Liv aren't going to give up. They've got all this money you know, to spend, et cetera, et cetera. We know they're around for a long time. So this coexistence sort of theory going around at the moment definitely has some merit. They've, I w- they've spent half on... They've spent about half of what the PGA spend on players every year on five or six players. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? And I mean, there was a point came up recently about, well, the PGA Tour raises all this money for charity, et cetera, and Liv's gone, oh, charity? Okay, well, how much have they done it? Well, they put in $100 million this year. Well, oh, here's a check for $100 million. There you go, bang. And they, they just solved that problem like in a stroke of a check. I mean, it's just amazing how much money they have and what they can do. So, But there is a line of thought, too, that, that the PGA has, has had this coming for a long time because they've ridden roughshod over the players. The, they've been demanding. They've been uh, unwavering. They've been, you know, almost dictatorial in the way that they have treated a lot of the players, which is what Greg Norman has been rallying against for a long time. Um, they've done nothing for Australian golf, so that's why I think Liv has looked a little bit differently um, by Australians and maybe elsewhere around the world. Um, th- there is that too. I mean, they are trying to take steps now to, to, to curry favour with the players, extra tournaments, extra money, all that kind of stuff. But is for some, that damage would almost be irreparable. I, I can tell you now, if you're a PGA Tour player and you've been there a lot of years, you should not be complaining about how you've been treated on the PGA Tour. Okay. They do amazing things for their players. They have a retirement fund for them. So they're set for you know, a long time if they played there for a lot of years. They've paid millions of dollars to play golf if they play well. It's a performance-based sport. We all know that. Mm. They have these you know, areas for families, everything to do around that. They, the tr- players get treated like royalty on the PGA Tour. Not, well, not royalty. I, I shouldn't say that. Players on the Live Tour, apparently they get treated like royalty <laughs> when you look at the yeah. planes they're flying yeah. and things like that. But they shouldn't complain, put it that way. Um, you know, and one of the things about this lawsuit recently uh, with Taylor Gooch, Hudson Swafford and Matt Jones when they lost that uh, lawsuit last week for them to play in the playoffs, you know, part of their legal 
uh, expertise, the way they portrayed them was these th- three poor boys because they're going to be you know, losing money if they don't play these playoffs. I'm sorry, but they're not three poor boys. I mean, they're, they're doing well themselves. They were just trying to get back into tournaments that they wanted to. I didn't quite agree with that myself. I think, look, if you go to live, I can understand why you go. Go ahead and do it. No problem at all. But don't try and come back and then play on the PGA Tour as well. That's, that's double dipping in my opinion. Um, I can see a, an instance where you would have a season on the PGA Tour where you go, right, from January through to August or September, play your schedule, do the FedEx Cup playoffs, and then for two or three months after that, maybe we can have these exhibition-style events with the Live Golf. That way, there's a coexistence in there that you could figure out, but the details of that is obviously, you know, many and varied, and that's where the two parties have to come together. Whether that happens, I don't know. Any update on the antitrust lawsuit that was filed by 11 of the Live Golfers, including Phil Mickelson, uh, against the PGA? Uh, the only update I knew was one player took his name off that. might have been Carlos Ortiz or someone like that took his name off. So there's only 10 now rather than 11, I believe. Not sure why he took his name off. Maybe he just didn't feel as though it was appropriate for him to sue the PGA Tour. Has a, that has given him a pretty good start in this game. That's going to drag on for years, that one, that antitrust lawsuit. That'll take a long time unless, again, the two parties come together and they figure this out. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. Now... If Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy and these 20 players that got together have then gone, you know, they've discussed all this and then they go to the um, the chairman or, the sorry, the commissioner, Jay Monaghan, and say, look, you need to sit down with these guys, then there might be some uh, opportunity to coexist, as they say. Uh, and we don't have much time, but the other update of this is that Patrick Reed, uh, who's not everyone's favourite golfer, it must be said, he's <laughs> uh, lodged a defamation lawsuit against the Golf Channel and analyst uh, Brandel Shambly. Uh, in the U.S. District Court, he claims that he's been the victim of calculated malicious attacks that have had a direct effect on his livelihood. Uh, among the suit's background facts, uh, he claims that Shambling the Golf Channel has actively targeted him and destroyed his reputation, create hate and a hostile work environment uh, for the player. And he's suing them for $750 million U.S. Uh, in damages. So that is extraordinary. I think it just topped everything off, really, didn't it? It's, yep. uh, it's one of those things where you go, are you serious? Um, if there's one guy I thought that wouldn't sue, you know, for defamation of character, it might have been Patrick Reed. But the discovery part of that case will be very interesting, put it that way. Yeah, um, it's well known on tour that Mr. Reed has been abused and endured more than any other golfer from fans or spectators who have been allowed to scream obscenities only to be glorified by NBC's Golf Channel for doing so. The suit reads. So, there yeah, we'll... Keep an eye on that one. Hey, uh, to finish up, uh, all thanks to our very good friends at Big Swing Golf. You're going to take us uh, to another one of your favourite golfing courses around the world that you can play on a simulator at Big Swing Golf in any one of their locations up and down the eastern seaboard. Uh, head to their website to find out more. And uh, we'll tap into Nick's knowledge, uh, a tip of the week coming from how to play your best golf. It's all still to come on Off the Tee. You're listening to Off The Tee with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Listen back to any part of the show you might have missed by subscribing to the Off The Tee podcast. Uh, Big swing golf, indoor golf, real fun and fast. This place is absolutely phenomenal and you can play a simulator of some of the greatest courses from around the world. You can head there with friends. They've got food and drinks. You can do casual play. You can do functions, your family. It's all teed up for. They've got their own league. There's coaching and all that kind of stuff as well. This place is absolutely phenomenal. Bigswinggolf.com.au. We're proud to have them on board off the tee. Sam Hargraves, Nick Ahern. So, Nick, we thought, given that uh, due to the 
the expertise of big swing golf and the fact that you can go uh, all around the world uh, on the, the simulator, um, that you would take us to one of your favourite courses, that anyone can go to a big swing golf course and play. Last week we did Pebble Beach. Where are you taking us this week? I'm taking you to a golf course that if I'd have played every week a tournament there, I would have been number one in the world. <laughs> Is this right? I love this golf course. It's in Hilton Head Island in South Carolina, a place called Harbour Town. Uh, on the PGA Tour, that's where they have the RBC Heritage Golf Tournament. And the final hole is quite, kind of famous because behind the 18th green is a big lighthouse. And it's, it's the scene uh, of, of many tournaments that have come down to the wire and playoffs and some rules controversies and things like that. It sits on the edge of what's called the Calabogie Sound. One year I played there. Uh, with Brant Snedeker and he put on one of the most amazing putting displays I've ever seen hold everything uh, we were coming around about 15th going into the last round he ended up losing in a playoff to sorry winning in a playoff to uh, Luke Donald I believe he beat but uh, it's one of those golf courses I absolutely love because it's not long it's very strategic you need to work your way around the golf course because it's very tight off the tee a lot of overhanging trees and things like this but I used to love hitting a low driver around the golf course where most people are hitting irons I'd hit this low chasing driver so length I was almost one of the longest hitters out there because I was you know hitting driver basically on every hole but the last few finishing holes are brilliant out there and if you played on the simulator the 16th is a beautiful par 4 dog leg left um, around uh, this long bunker and these pine trees you've got to avoid 17 is a magnificent par 3 I think Boo Weekly chipped in on that hole one year to uh, to win when it was blowing a gale because the wind can get up these last couple of holes and then on the 18th it's this tee shot which basically has a, a fairway almost as wide as the 18th at St Andrews I mean it's one of the widest fairways you've ever seen in your life but it's all about the second shot on this last hole it's one of the most dramatic second shots uh, on the PGA Tour it's an amazing place to play, and I'd love to do it on the simula simulator soon, and I can't wait to revisit it. I'm looking forward to heading out there as well, and we'll definitely be uh, taking up uh, some of your favourite courses. Bigswinggolf.com.au. Uh, there are venues all around Australia. New South Wales, Queensland, Tassie, in the country, Victoria, in Vic Metro as well. So just jump onto their website, Big Swing Golf, uh, indoor golf, real fun, fast. If you don't know where you're having your work Christmas party, or your work breakup event, or just a team-building exercise. If you don't know where you're going to go for some Friday night fun with the family, Big Swing Golf. They cater for all of your needs. There's food and drinks and everything that I just mentioned as well. And you can play 84 different courses from around the world, including some where Nick Ahern has just torn to shreds, as he's just been telling us. Hey, um, we don't have a heap of time. Um, we've gone a little over time on the, uh, the Big Swing Golf there. But just your tip to finish off, how to play your best golf. We've got about a minute and a half left in the show. Okay. Uh, just a little quick tip to finish up with. Sure, I posted something on social media this week uh, from my book, uh, which was to do with warming up. So a bit of pre-game preparation, I think, is really important. And how you warm up before your round is a real key. Now, I used to have three different warm-ups, depending on how much time I had. A five-minute, a 15-minute, and a 45-minute warm-up. My 45-minute one was one I used when I was playing tournaments, obviously. That was my full warm-up. The five-minute one, which is kind of one that I posted on uh, on Instagram the other day, was just more of a, you know, get warm very, very quickly. And there's a nice little drill where you can put five balls in a row diagonally away from you and you hit each one without even stopping. Gets the heart rate going really, really quickly. Uh, gets the footwork going as well. And if you can middle them and hit them up in the air, you're, you're very, very good. But uh, the thing about warming up is don't worry too much about you hitting the ball, how you're hitting the ball. It's all about just loosening the muscles, getting a feel for the club face, you know, how you're gripping the club. And then especially, that's really important, try and roll a few putts so you get a feel for the speed of the greens. Because when you go out in the golf course, 
putting is so important and you need to get a feel for how the uh, ball's coming off the putter face and, and what, the green skeeds, what the green speed is going to be that day. So it sounds like a simple one, but it, it, we know that in every single sport, it, your ability to warm up affects your, how you are gonna, your ability to play. And I reckon that a lot of golfers just walk up to the first and just swing for the fences without doing any kind of warm-up, getting the eye in in any way, shape or form. So it's a great tip. Hey, we'll speak to you next week. All right, look forward to it, Sam. Uh, that's it from Off The Tee. It's all up on the podcast, sen.com.au. More sporting capital after this. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Oh, we've got a heap to get through. We've got a heap to get through in the next hour if the system decides to play nice. Well, that's a very sharp way to start the final hour. We're not sure what went on there. Just a couple little technical difficulties. Welcome to the final hour of the Sporting Capital. Great to have you on board. It'd be great to chat to you too at any stage if you feel the urge to pick up the phone and give us a call. one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 is the number. Uh, coming up in the next hour, so much to get through. We're going to get Brent Maloney on, former Cat, former D, former Lion, and he's just going to set up tomorrow night's massive clash between the Lions and the D's. At the Gabba, you'll hear it all here on SEN, the best called team uh, in the business, of course, tomorrow night. But uh, a man that knows both clubs pretty darn well, and he's coaching uh, the Wilston Grange Gorillas uh, up um, in the local footy league, uh, up in, in the Quaffle, uh, up in Queensland at the moment, is Brent Maloney, the former D's best and fairest winner. So looking forward to having a chat to Beamer. Um, we're going to take you back uh, to a couple of weeks ago. Commonwealth Games might be over, but uh, you never to pass up an opportunity to speak to some gold medalists and um, it's going to be an absolute pleasure to be joined by uh, two men who did Australia proud and we had a record number of um, medals and uh, we blitzed the field, more golds, more medals than anybody at the Com Games in Birmingham but Chris McHugh and Paul Burnett who won gold uh, in the men's beach volleyball are going to join us uh, and in just a moment Max Lawton will take us through so there are a, a, a monumental amount of ramifications, permutations, possibilities to unfold, depending on the results, the scores in those results. It's going to be one hell of a final round of footy to get us through to finals. And what the top eight looks like is still anybody's guess. The only thing we know for a certainty is that Geelong are going to finish up top. So Max Lawton, who does a brilliant job, one of the best stats guys uh, in the business, is going to take us through what may or may not be about to unfold and all the different possibilities that could occur as a result of the results of round 23. So he's going to join us in just a moment. But if you're just joining us and you haven't had a chance to hear the teams, let me just run you through the round 23 teams. Friday night, uh, Ryan Lester, the medical sub, no change to the Brisbane Lions at this stage. James Jordan's been omitted for the D's and the man who has been the medical sub for the last couple of rounds, who did a brilliant job tagging Lockie Neal out of the game when these last these teams last these two teams last met earlier in the season, James Jordan omitted. Um, 
James Jordan has been omitted and as my computer just decides to not to participate with me uh, at all uh, at the minute. So um, James Jordan has been omitted. James Harms uh, is coming in for the Ds. Um, Saturday, don't skip ahead straight to Saturday. Um, Saturday night, what is going on here? Give me a break. Uh, I haven't done this in uh, sequential order on the AFL website. Uh, for the Cats and the Eagles uh, on Saturday afternoon, Asaba Radagalia and Isaac Smith come in for the Cats. Jeremy Cameron out injured. Reece Stanley um, is injured as well. Tom Atkins has been managed. What a year he's had, and they'll just give him a little spell and a freshen up a couple of weeks off before finals. For the Eagles, Bailey J. Williams comes in. Jay Cully, the number one pick in the midseason draft. Tim Kelly, Willie Rioli as well. Andrew Gaff is injured. Brady Hoff is out ill. Greg Clark was a medical sub. Jake Waterman's injured, and so too is Nick Natanui. And Paddy Dangerfield plays game number 300. What a career. Eight-time All-Australian, the Brownlow medalist from Paddy Dangerfield. The one medal that he's missing is that premiership medal around his neck. Could this year be the year? But congratulations on one hell uh, of an AFL career, Paddy Dangerfield. And you just get the feeling that he's still got a few good years left in him. Uh, Giants and Dockers, Pete Link Taranto in for the Giants. Keith out injured, so too Tanner Bruin after uh, that bump from Bailey Williams last week. Xavier O'Halloran was a medical sub. Lloyd Meek comes in for the Dockers. Uh, the Ruckman, Nat Fife is in as well. Bailey Banfield was a medical sub. Darcy Tucker's been omitted. Rory Lobb as well. For the Bombers and the Tigers, uh, a final game for one of their greatest ever Tigers, Shane Edwards. Uh, Michael Hurley, what a story this is. Hasn't played since round 18, 2020. He's going to get a farewell game, um, and you wouldn't begrudge him of that. Uh, he's had a, a fant- He's been a fantastic servant to the Essendon Football Club. I'll play a bit of audio of him a little later on, but we've got Max Lawton standing by. Um, but congratulations to Michael Hurley. He announced his retirement this week and has been able to fight his way back from that a debilitating hip infection. He had to teach himself how to walk again, and he will get to go out with one final game of footy. Uh, Zach Reed is in as well. Ben Hobbs is a medical sub last week. Kyle Langford out injured. Nick Bryan has been omitted. Jack Ross comes in for the Tigers. Jack Graham is out injured, and Castagna was the medical sub. Um, and uh, it's just squads uh, for all the Sunday games. So we'll go through them a little bit later on. But those are the main ins and outs uh, so far. Uh, just a couple of the ins. Horn Francis has come back in for North Melbourne. Aiden Bonnet, Flynn Perez, Jack Marnie, uh, and Josh Goda are in uh, for North Melbourne. Uh, that's the two ten game on. Is that Saturday or Sunday? It's my computer's just giving me doing me no favours uh, at all here. Um, it just keeps refreshing itself. Anyway, I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to come back to it because that's doing my head in. Um, we mentioned before, I think Jerry Whateley's been speaking all week about just how many different possibilities that could unfold. I think over 200 possible outcomes to the round 23, depending on their results. Max Lawton's going to try and steer us through exactly what may or may not unfold, uh, going down the list of clubs in order uh, of where they sit currently on the ladder. He's one of the best stats men in the business from Fox Sports. You can read his stuff every single week. Max, hello to you, mate. Sam, thanks for having me on. Uh, you, sorry I had to sit through that uh, debacle of me trying to read the teams out, mate. I, my computer was just giving me all kinds of grief. Um, Quite all right. Let's go through. We know one thing for certain, that Geelong are going to finish on top of the ladder. Everything else is up for grabs after that. Um, so why don't we start with Sydney? What happens if they win? 
they win, they're locked into top three, so they avoid the Cats in that qualifying final. They're ahead by, I think, 0.7 percentage from Melbourne right now. So it really depends on the Melbourne-Brisbane game on Friday night, who they could face. But they're top three if they win. If they lose, they can drop all the way to sixth. Uh, but they could still sneak in if results go their way to the top four. So if they lose? Third to sixth, their possibilities. This is going to be... There's really the top three teams, that Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane block. All of them can finish anywhere from third to sixth, even if they lose. That's why there are, what jared has been proclaiming, what the 228 possibilities going forward. It's really so many different arrangements because of the results that can happen later in the round. So they play St Kilda at Marvel Stadium, the Swans, at Sunday uh, 4.40, looking forward to doing that game. It's amazing that even if they win, they can still... It's either second or third, depending on the percentage of the Melbourne uh, and Brisbane winner. But if they lose, that is extraordinary, isn't it? That it's anywhere from third, fourth, fifth or sixth. Yeah, it's a complete... It's, they'll know what they're doing once. by the time they go in is the good thing for them. They'll have an idea of where they can finish. They're probably finishing above Brisbane if Brisbane loses because of the percentage and probably above Melbourne too, unless they're getting pumped by the Saints, which would certainly be a surprise to most. But yeah, two or three if they win, three to six if they lose. So rattle them off because I, I love the article you've written on Fox Sports where it's you, you've actually written down it's third if Brisbane lose to Melbourne, Collingwood lose to Carlton, Fremantle lose to GWS. <laughs> Fourth, and I'll let you take it from here because people need to understand yeah. this is how finite it is. Yeah, well, that's that's my favourite part about the round twenty-two run home is that I can just do every single possibility. So yeah, they really want Collingwood and Fremantle to lose if Sydney loses as well. That can keep them in the top four, uh, and from there, it's how many of those teams lose depending on how they drop out. And it's a similar thing for both Melbourne and Brisbane. If they lose, they are praying for as many losses from both Fremantle against GWS and Collingwood against Carlton as they can get. Because any either of those teams, the Melbourne Brisbane team, could, could sneak in to the top four if Frio and Collingwood go on to lose later in the round. What about Melbourne? So if they win? If they win, two or three. Uh, really depends on the Sydney result. So if they... But the percentage gap is very small between them and Sydney. So if Melbourne win, they could still finish second. And that's a big deal because, you know, hosting that qualifying final rather than going to the SCG would be a big advantage. Uh, so it could be a bit of a percentage race. Uh, we could get some live ladder action in two games on Sunday, which we love. Uh, but otherwise, third for them and playing the Swans. And if they lose? So they can finish third still, even if they lose. It would take Sydney being thumped as well. Fremantle losing to GWS and Collingwood losing to Carlton. And then from there, it's progressive. It's this two of those Sydney, Freo, Collingwood teams lose. Melbourne would finish fourth. If one of them loses, they'd finish fifth. And if none of them lose, they finish sixth. And then, of course, you've got to watch the percentage with them in the Swans. And what about for the Lions? If they win? If they win, top three again. It's that guaranteed second qualifying final, avoiding Geelong, the potential of a home prelim, and what I think is being on the favourable, favourable side of the bracket too. So not only are you getting into that qualifying final, but you are a very good chance of making the grand final from there. So top three for the Lions, if they win, they're less likely to pass Sydney on percentage. I think they're about four points back, but they'd need quite the results. Uh, awesome if both teams end up winning. Speaking of Max Lawton from Fox Sports, he's done every single possible outcome in an article that he wrote earlier this week on foxsports.com. We're just taking you through it so you're ready and armed for what might unfold uh, over the course of round 23. So what about Brisbane if they lose? 
If they lose, they're hoping for losses from Sydney, Fremantle and Collingwood. The more losses, the better. They could still stay third if Sydney got thumped by St Kilda. And then fourth if two of those teams lose, fifth if one lose, and then all the way down to sixth if none of them lose in that really dangerous spot where everyone's eyeing them against probably Richmond in an elimination final, which is such a massive thing from a potential home qualifying final to hosting the Tigers at the Gabba. And again, we know they can lose because they've lost it in finals gone by. So essentially, this is top four on the line for both Brisbane uh, and Melbourne who play Friday night, 7.50 at the Gabba because we're not really expecting St Kilda to beat Sydney. But, hey, stranger things have happened. So outside the four, it's fascinating as well. So Collingwood are 15 and 6. They've got Carlton in what looks to be maybe one of the biggest home and away games of recent memory just because it's the two old rivals. It's top four on the line for Collingwood. It's top eight on the line for Carlton. So if Collingwood win... What happens? Collingwood win, they're locked into top four. And then we're really waiting for the result of the final game of the round to see who they're playing. If Sydney beats St Kilda, as you expect, Collingwood would finish fourth and face Geelong in a qualifying final. I think a rematch from three years ago in that 1v4 qualifying final. Uh, but if they lose, it's fifth or sixth. And they're waiting on there. Or they're seeing how Fremantle and GWS on Saturday, they could finish fifth or sixth, which could be the difference between again facing Richmond in a elimination final or facing a the Blues again is a possibility, a live possibility if results fall a certain way. I love how you've written that uh, it's the biggest Magpies Blues game since, well, they haven't played uh, in the finals together uh, against each other since 1988, so since then. So it is massive, that game. So what if Collingwood lose? So it's fifth or sixth, depending on the Fremantle GWS result completely. So if you're a uh, Collingwood fan, you want GWS to win. That, that raises your floor. You can't finish lower than fifth if GWS beats Fremantle. So speaking of the Dockers, they've got the Giants at Marnik Robel um, Saturday, 1.45pm. So if they win? If they win, they stay alive for top four and they're the one team in this block that doesn't control their top four fate, but they keep it alive and they'll have to wait till Sunday. So if they win, they could finish as high as third if Sydney and Collingwood both lose. If one of them loses, they finish fourth. And if Sydney and Collingwood both win, as probably most people are tipping, Freo would finish fifth. They're hosting an elimination final. They're guaranteed one home final at the very least. And if they lose? Very simply, they stay sixth. All right. What about the Tigers, who have got Essendon MCG? A horrible week for the Essendon Footy Club. They've been pilloried, uh, and rightly so, for the performance against uh, Port Adelaide last week. Uh, and they've got a new president. Will they have a new coach by the time this game comes around? Who will be coaching them? So I hope to play out in Richmond. Obviously, finals is their big... Uh, is the big... Uh, top Finals is obviously the biggest thing on their uh, agenda as well. Um, if they win? If they win, they're locked into seventh. It's a guaranteed spot. You have to wonder how they'll go against potentially another interim coach. I feel like every time they play, they seem to get the uh, coach who's just been sacked. Maybe that'll happen again. And if they lose? If they lose, they can finish eighth if Carlton beats Collingwood. So Carlton, a live chance to still jump up in the seventh. But otherwise, the Tigers would stay in seventh and probably play what I'm thinking is the Melbourne or Brisbane loser. All right. And for Carlton, so they've got Collingwood uh, on Sunday. This is going to be massive. So it's it's a lot more simple for Carlton. But just take us through it. If they win? Win and you're in. You guarantee top eight if you beat Collingwood. You can finish seventh if Essendon won the night before, but otherwise you're uh, making it into eighth, which I think Blues fans will be quite happy with.
And if we lose, of course, uh, they can still finish in the top eight. Yes, it would. So I've I've tried to do as many of these little checks of the percentage gaps as possible. It's hard to do without a live ladder, but it's about two goals of percentage. So if the Bulldogs lose, obviously that's fantastic for Carlton. If the Bulldogs win by a goal, Carlton could still lose by less than a kick against Collingwood, and Collingwood games are known to be close, and they can still sneak in. That's how close it could be, but if the Bulldogs win by two or more goals, it's a very binary win and you're in. Gee, that is as finite as it gets, isn't it? And for the doggies you've just mentioned, they've just got to win to get in. They've got to win by two goals. Essentially, yeah, that makes it a certainty that they would get in and pass Collingwood if the uh, pass Carlton either if the Blues lose to Collingwood. Uh, and there is a mathematical chance for St Kilda, is there? We love the mathematical chance. I think Brett Ratner threw it on his press conference today. Uh, I have it as something like twenty goals of percentage they need to make up. So not. Not impossible. If they win by 10 goals and Carlton loses by 10 goals and the Bulldogs lose, the Saints get in in the most miraculous scenes possible. But realistically, I think they're done. All right. Beautifully done, Max. Taking us through in quick time to every possible ramification for this round. You do a brilliant job. The article's up there, foxsports.com.au. And if you just want to run through what your predicted top eight is to finish, far away. So I've got Geelong holding on to top spot, as you would expect. Sydney ahead of Melbourne on percentage, but that Friday night game is so tough to tip. Collingwood fourth, Fremantle, Brisbane, Richmond, and the Bulldogs. I actually have Carlton slipping out of the eight entirely. Although, when you look at Carlton's chances, I'd have it at about 70% they play finals, because even if that Collingwood game is 50-50, the Bulldogs game can't be more than 60-40 for them to win. And you add up those odds, and it's a 30% chance for the Bulldogs. So, Carlton fans, I understand your nerves. You should get in in most situations, but I am tipping you not to. Beautifully done. Max, really appreciate it. We'll speak to you soon. See you, Sam. Uh, Max Lawton does a brilliant job. Foxsports.com.au. A couple of calls to take. I'll do that on the other side of this. Adam, James, stay right there. This is the Sporting Capital. Listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. Yeah, I won't get too personal on the news. Uh, at this stage, but yeah, no, I do. I, I, there's certain things about that football club that, that I don't like. I think it's just the DNA of the club and, and what they're about and um, the sense of entitlement that they sort of have. But um, I'm proud of my football club and, and uh, we're going to be doing everything we can to knock them off. Shots fired, Ollie Wines. I mean, this is a dead rubber game, but there's no such thing as dead rubbers in showdowns. What a way to finish out the year in Adelaide. That will be the hottest ticket in town. Ollie Wine's sense of self-entitlement did not miss the Crows in his presser today and they'll be looking to send Robbie Gray out a winner and could he claim his sixth showdown medal but that is going to be on like Donkey Kong. Can't wait for that on Saturday night. Uh, Adam's in Frio. G'day, Adam. Oh, g'day, Sam. Uh, Sam, I'm just stirring uh, about the Alistair Clark situation. I've mm. been pretty busy. So I've been tapping in and out of it so I may well have missed some things and I may well be missing the point but... Um, look, I, I, I'm just going back to the Ross Lyon situation uh, when he came to Fremantle. Um, f- from memory, Mark Harvey was at um, a function and he only got wind of it and it all happened very quickly. Obviously, Ross had been speaking um, with Fremantle uh, for, a free, for apparently for a few days. But it all, he got executed really quickly and it was over. And people were... Yeah, people still judge Ross and Fremantle over that, which is which is fine. What I just don't understand is, to me, it seems like 
Clarkson is doing the same thing. It's just that people know about it. And my understanding was earlier in the year when he was on 360, he had said, I won't be speaking to clubs that still have a coach. Um, and that seems to be what he's doing. Um, and it's the only difference is people know about it. Essendon haven't sacked Rutten, and he's obviously been in contact with them. Um, so I just, he, about, well, as I say, yeah, I've been well, they, busy, but when so I have tuned in, they've the media, sought him he, out, Adam. So that, this is this is why I spoke about this last night that I think the treatment of Ben Rutten's been deplorable. Um, to leave him hanging in the way that they are, it's just humiliating. We saw it last year with David Teague doing exit interviews when he still didn't know if he had a job, and Ben Rutten's trying to prepare for a game yeah. of footy, not knowing the same thing. I know he met with the um, the the new president uh, Dave Barham yesterday. Um, and we still are none the wiser on what's happening with him. So, I, you know, Clarkson spoke about today being a bit embarrassed and spoke about the awkwardness of the situation, but he they sought him out, not the other way around. Um, and they've, so, they've, they've so asked Fremantle, him if he's interested. Fremantle did the same. I, I, Fremantle I, I, did the same with Lyon. Yeah. They yeah. sought him out. So my, my point being is I can understand people judging Fremantle and Ross Lyon. I'm not disputing that. But I can understand them judging Fremantle, or I can understand them judging Essendon. But if someone approaches you about a job, I mean, you are within your rights to, you know, to say, okay, well, uh, if- yeah. So my point, be- my point being is, there's a lot of people who think Ross Lyons a pig for what he did, but isn't, and he's copped his whack. But it doesn't seem to be the same for Clarkson. I thought they were more it disappointed in the that- way that he went about it with St Kilda. I thought that was more on the St Kilda side of things. Oh, I think there's a lot of... Well, I can tell you now in the West, mm. there's there's the backstabber element that he took Harvey's job. And right. there's people okay. vile about that. So I'm just wondering, it does seem to be, this bloke is going in and, and talk, you know, going in brazenly, talking to a club who's got a coach, and no one seems to be that bothered by that. Well, because the, the the cl- again, the club him. sought out him yeah. and sought out his manager saying, are you interested in this job because we'd want to offer it to you? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. he said, I won't speak to anyone. But anyway, he just seems to be getting off pretty lightly, okay. I think. But anyway. No, I appreciate yeah. it, Adam, and, and you're well within your rights to hold that view, and uh, I would direct that more towards the clubs um, for the way they're treating their incumbent coach rather than the person they're trying to seek out. But I certainly do take your point, and I thank you for ringing up to make it. James is on the road. G'day, James. Yeah, g'day, mate. Um, Sammy, how are you, mate? Good, mate. Thank you. Good. Yeah, no, spot on. I uh, I, I think you're right. I, I don't understand uh, the comments um, from Brown during the week, from Campbell Brown. What did the dog say? No, from Campbell Brown. Yeah, the Campbell, we call him, he calls himself the dog, the brown dog. Sorry. What, what, did, he, what did he have to say? Yeah, no. I wasn't calling no. him a dog. He calls yeah, himself no, he, brown dog, the dog. Yeah, he said he's going to uh, just leave Alistair Clarkson... Uh, off to the side and and never talk to him again. But he's the one who went to went to the Gold Coast. You don't know if Gold Coast and Hawthorne have the same kind of historic rivalry that uh, that Essendon and Hawthorne do. And I'm sure that Brandy might have been a little tongue in cheek when he said it. I haven't heard I, it. I think he may ha- may have <laughs> been, but he can still you know it, it, it's yeah he's notorious for throwing a few things out there. But no, I I, I just think. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be the Bombers. Yeah. I'm... He's going to have to go with the Bombers. He's going to have to. With the list, with everything that's there, um, yeah. you've you've said it previously. 
There are some that believe that as well, James. Um, it has been said by Sam Mitchell, though, and Luke Hodge that one thing Clarko likes is stability. And could you really look at Essendon right now when we believe that their board is fractured, um, there's there's uh, people not on the same page within the football department. We're hearing, uh, you know, whether it be the list manager and the football manager, um, Stability is not what Essendon are screaming right now. And I wonder that he's going to make a decision on Friday. Is that enough time to get assurances that um, what looks to be a pretty dysfunctional place at the moment is going to be anything but when he steps through the door if he does? Um, yeah, I'm not, as, I'm not as sure. Not as sure on that one. I think he should say, I said that you can tell a lot by someone how they break up with you. Um, I still think he should hold out. And if he really wants to add a piece to his legacy, coach Tasmania. Be Tasmania's first ever coach. Um, that would, to me, would be, um, I'd love to see that. Hey, um, running short of time, got to get to Brent Maloney, got to get to our two uh, volleyball gold medalists. We'll do that on the other side of this uh, on the Sporting Capital. Well, the Commonwealth Games might be done and dusted. It doesn't mean we still can't revel in the glory that was Australia's performance at it. 67 gold medals, a total of 178, more gold, more medals than any other country participating. It was a dominant Birmingham uh, for our Aussies. And I wanted to make sure that when I came back, uh, that I was able to have a chat to some of uh, our real success stories. And we know the names uh, Cook and Potter are synonymous with beach volleyball in this country, 2,000 Olympic gold medalists. But we're starting to really make waves uh, in international beach volleyball and the men's competition uh, as well. Uh, and a couple of our Aussies, Chris McHugh, second time that he's had gold at the Com Games. 2018, he did it. Uh, and for Paul Burnett, it was his first Com Games uh, and a gold medal as well. And what a performance it was for our Aussies to come back. Uh, they were in no man's land, had to save match points. They had match points of theirs saved. It was one of the great gold medal games uh, against Canada, who incidentally we beat in 2018 as well. And I thought it was a good chance to get the boys on uh, to reminisce a couple of weeks on from their heroics in Birmingham. Chris Burnett, uh, Chris McHugh, Paul Burnett, boys, hello. Hello, thanks for having us. Hey, mate, how are you going? Thanks for having us. Uh, it's a pleasure to have both of you on the line. Um, it just wouldn't feel right to speak to one of you and not the other. So we thought, let's get them both on and conference you in. And the joys of technology, we've made it happen. So how does it all sit with you? Uh, we'll start with you, Chris. It's your second gold medal. You defended the gold you got at, on the Gold Coast. How does it sit with you now to be uh, a two-time Com Games gold medalist? Yeah, um, I'm on the Gold Coast at the moment on a family holiday, so kind of bringing back some of the uh, fond memories from up here from four years ago. But, look, to go back-to-back Com Games gold medal uh, this year with Paul, uh, you know, I don't think it's fully sunk in yet. A lot of people are, are still coming up and, and, you know, asking me how I feel. I'm like, oh, not, it doesn't really change who I am or, or, you know, change anything really. But I think it, it's, for me, it's just super proud of our team and super proud of Paul. It's his first international season as a beach volleyballer after finishing uni and, uh, you know, his first big multi-sport games as well in the Commonwealth Games and, you know, to come out as a team. And like you said, we, we saved four or five match points uh, and then, you know, it was a tough battle to, to win 2018 in the third. You don't get too many games going that deep. So I couldn't be more proud of our team, firstly, but, you know, I just, I don't know, to be able to share it with my, my wife who was in Birmingham as well. Uh, it was just incredibly special for us. We're going to speak about the game in just a moment because it was just phenomenal. I mean, that is worth, that is an epic, epic gold medal match uh, that you were both able to, to triumph in. But, Paul, for you, you and Chris didn't get together until after um, Damien Schumann had retired after the Tokyo Games, partnering with Chris uh, in Tokyo. How did it come to be 
uh, Paul, that you and Chris came together? Yeah, uh, I mean, Damien definitely left some big shoes to fill when he retired. So um, I guess Chris was sort of searching for a partner and I was a bit in the same boat, having now sort of committing to beach volleyball permanently. And so it just worked out that uh, that it was, it was great timing for us to team up and, and we gave it a crack and, and the results seemed to come pretty immediately. So we thought we might as well stick with it and, and see what more we could do and and to uh, yeah, come away with the gold at Commonwealth Games after about 10 months together is a um, pretty great reward for the, for the work we've put in. It seemed like you both really gelled, though, Paul, instantaneously. I mean, your first international tournament together, you knocked off the, the world number ones, Qatar. You've got top 10 ranking now. You've got the Com game. So in a short space of time, you guys have really clicked. Yeah, I think um, yeah, we're both very different people and at very different stages in our life. But I think well, we both just have that same goal and, and, and we both want the same thing. So I think when you're on the same page in terms of that, then it really gives you the opportunity for the good stuff to happen. And we've been fortunate to yeah, have quite a bit of success in, in the short partnership that we've had. Chris, let's set this scene, though. This gold medal game, we're told it was about 40 degrees uh, on court, on the sand. Oh. That, that's what I'm reading. I think that's a bit of a bump up. Well, I've been told 24 in the shade. <laughs> 24 degrees in the shade. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, if England had 40 degrees, mate, I think uh, a lot of them would be on the on the floor dead. So, yeah, in saying that, they no, wouldn't show up to work. Really, was... that, that'd be a national heat wave declared yeah. in a state of emergency, wouldn't it? <laughs> exactly, right? Like, they, it wasn't that hot, but look, we do play in some pretty tough conditions in beach volleyball and... I think I've been, you know, the, the ref decided at 12 all in the third set that he had enough and had to get off the stand. And um, we had the, which I've never had in my career, by the way, to have a top referee say I'm not, I'm not fit to referee the match anymore. So that was a bit weird. Heat stroke games of your career. To, to, yeah, <laughs> mate, I think it was actually. Wow. Um, but the poor, uh, poor guy had, has to wear a bloody tracksuit all day in the sun. That makes no sense for beach volleyball, does it? Officiating sometimes makes no sense, mate. Hey, um, but in this game, so you go down a set. Um, how what you get a little chance to have a little back and forth, a chat, regroup, and gather your thoughts. What was the conversation with with both of you, Chris, when you, you lose that first set to Canada? Uh, look, I think we. Uh, I pretty much sat down on the bench and said, uh, "Sorry, mate, I'm playing like shit. Uh, I'll 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 fix my stuff up for you." And um, that's basically what happened. We came out and, you know, backs to the wall. Got no choice of, uh, of anything, really. It's, it's do or die. And you just got to uh, really back your own processes in and, and our game in, which we did. We, we brought a lot more from the service box, uh, but also uh, in the side-out part of the game when we were receiving the ball, we started to play more out brand of volleyball and more style, which for me is just get up and try and hit the crap out of it. Put it simply. Fair enough. Hey, keep it simple. Stupid is uh, a term often used yeah. in uh, in sport. So, Paul, for you, you, you climb your way back in and, and take the the second set, and then you're into a decider. And in the blink of an eye, it happened ball pretty quickly, didn't it? You, you're, you're staring down the barrel of having to save two match points. Yeah, it's uh, it was definitely a high pressure situation, and was very aware of the scoreboard. Uh, I think at that point you sort of you just got to take it for what it is, and it's just another point. And I think I got to a stage where you just accept that it, it can go either way, and then you try and put your best stuff out there. And 
fortunately we were able to save a couple and hang in there long enough to, to turn it around and, and get a few of our own. So many times those great stories when you see match points get saved and it's like, oh, well, this is defining, this is momentum turning. And those those are those are the moments that are pointed to in a win. You guys get four match points of your own, Chris, and then they save three of them. So you've got one one more up your sleeve to get the gold medal. I mean, tell me, tell me that you weren't uh, just slightly nervous in these in that in those moments, or did you find that you were just calm and serene? What take us inside how you're feeling emotionally when you've done all the hard work to come back from a set, save two match points, and then they've gone and saved three. I think I was more nervous in the quarterfinal match when we were set down against Sri Lanka um, than, than the gold medal point, uh, to be honest. Uh, for me, I was more in the zone. Uh, I guess, you know, you talk about athletes being in the zone and, and not really focusing on too much, and I guess that's kind of where I was at. I, I was just solely focused on the the moment that I was in, and, and for me, it, it all worked out pretty good. Uh, it definitely wasn't. Worrying too much about what was going on and what if and, and what buts, but just trying to put as much pressure back on the opposition as we could. And as you said, like Sam Schockter, who's the the defender, the right sider, um, he played extremely well that whole game. Um, and like you said earlier, you know we beat him in Gold Coast four years earlier, and you know that's a bit of a soul destroying loss mm. uh, two two in a row in in the third set. So, and to be honest, he's a really great guy and, and one of our good mates on tour. So. To, to, to win those tight games and, and in those clutch moments with the, the momentum in the balance, you know, that's why you play sport. You, you play sport to be in the, in the clinches on the biggest stage. Speaking to Chris McHugh and Paul Burnett, our, uh, our Com Games gold medalist in the men's beach volleyball. So explain the feeling when you hold on to that fourth and final match point. What, what's, the, what's the overriding sense that, that comes across you in waves when you know that you've You've got that gold. You want to answer this one, Paul? Uh, so Paul both of you Chris. jump in. Oh, both of you. I'd love to hear from both of you. How, how did that feel in those moments? Start with you, Paul. Yeah. Uh, I think um, it was a bit of disbelief when we finally won the point and I sort of jumped around like a little kid for a while and then when I when I sort of embraced Chris, I just said to him like, "Oh, we, like we did it," and it's almost in a way that like, uh, yeah, definitely hadn't sunk in. But yeah, it's sort of hard to to put into words that feeling you get when you when you do come out on top on those close ones. And what about for you, Chris? Yeah, for me, uh, I guess knowing because I'm in the net and I can feel the space, I guess, of the court. So knowing that he'd hit it wide, um, for me it was just pure elation and a bit of relief. Um, you know, you you want the gold medal, you want to win. I want to win every game that I play. I'm a super competitive person, but I was just super happy for the team. We've been through a fair bit in the last month. We've been on tour for 12 out of 13 weeks. Um, and uh, this was our final tournament and the, the big goal for the year. So to win the, the gold is... It was just, I don't know, sad to have my family there and his family there. It was just utter elation, I guess. Like, I just got no other words for it. And, Paul, how was the division in your family? Was it a little bit, there would have been a, t- a tinge of bittersweetness for you, given you were born in Canada, weren't you? Have, you, have your parents forgiven <laughs> yeah, was, you yet or was, for beating Canada? Well, 
I was born in Canada and my dad's New Zealand and I lived in I live in Australia, so I've got a bit of the whole Commonwealth in me. There you so, go. Um, I think uh, they've firmly jumped on the Australian ship and I've also stolen all my New Zealand and Canada relatives have jumped on the Australian bandwagon as well. So I think I'm just uh, trying to get as many people to, to get around us and to support us as well. So I don't think there was any... Uh, um, sadness from mum's point of view of, <laughs> for Australia winning. I think everyone, everyone's on board. Uh, look, it's great to reminisce with both of you. It's a phenomenal achievement. Congratulations again. What's next uh, for the both of you? Uh, next for us, uh, we go into a bit of a pre-season block. Uh, we're on a bit of a holiday right now, but uh, we go to Japan for, for two tournaments in about a month and then Asian champs in Iran, uh, followed by two tournaments down in Torquay in Victoria. So where does one, how does one get involved in beach volleyball? And, and if you were to pitch it to someone who's listening now, a youngster um, who's looking for what sport is their sport in this world, give us the sales pitch. Um, yeah, look, I'd just say to give it a go. That's how I got into it was, was back in school, um, just joined the school team and, and really had no intentions when getting into the sport about what I wanted to achieve. I just had fun doing it and then things led from there. So I think you don't know if you, you like it until you try it and it's obviously not the biggest sport in Australia, but I think if more people just give it a chance, give it a go, you, you, you'll find that it is a really great social and fun sport to play and then there's lots of pathways from there to if you want to go further and, 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 and try and sort of do the same stuff that we're doing out there. And Chris, can you do it in a way that you're fully professional or is it still mainly a, 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 a on-the-side pursuit? I've been professional since out of high school. Yeah. Um, I've been doing this for 14 years. Yeah. We, it's, it's the unknown that, you know, volleyball, beach volleyball, indoor volleyball is the second largest participation sport in the world behind soccer. Uh, outside of Australia, there are guys who are earning millions of dollars playing volleyball, um, you know, on the world tour, we play very similar to tennis. There's 16 to 18 events every year. Um, people are earning really good dollars doing it. Um, you just got to get out, give it a crack, and and as a bonus, I mean, we have the ability to play at the Commonwealth Games now. We have the ability to play at the Olympic Games, the pinnacle of our sport, and and we have world championships as well every year. So there's something every year for you to aspire to to play at and as, as a bonus you get to travel the world i've been to 48 different countries now and had some experiences that i never dreamed of brilliantly done both of you that's a fantastic sales pitch and i think we've all learned a little something from it and we appreciate it hey congrats again what a performance you've done australia proud um the fact that you only came together uh, after tokyo and had a short time to get yourselves fit and uh, get yourselves in sync and firing in the way that you have is, is just brilliant so well done again and thanks for joining us Thanks, mate. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you very much. How are you? Chris McHugh and Paul Burnett, our Com Games men's beach volleyball gold medalist. Pleasure to speak to those gentlemen. It's been a pleasure to speak to you for the last three hours as well. If you missed any of the show, if you missed um, Alex Marcou, former Carlton great, uh, if you missed uh, Brett Maloney, if you missed the boys, that full chat, it's all up on the Sporting Capital podcast page at sen.com.au. And if you missed Off the Tee with myself and Nick Ahern, that's got its own podcast page as well. Hey, thanks to all the texts that came through as well on the temper. I'm sorry there's a few that I didn't get to. Such lovely words being sent through, and I really appreciate it, uh, Alex in Essendon and Rod in St. Leonard's. But to all of you, have a great weekend. Enjoy round 23. Here we go. 
It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.